at the supremacy of who this being is. And I know there's people out there who have theories that he never existed, but I, I could really, you know, I could really tear all those theories to a million pieces because I've read those books. But the 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 thing that I'm trying to get into here is there were electrical phenomena occurring through me through this experience that got so powerful. And I get this call from Art Bell. This is probably 1999. And he says that he wants to have me on his show. And I'm really shocked that he's actually calling me on my cell phone. I can't even believe I'm getting a call from Art Bell because I was listening to him for years, um, about two years before before this call comes in. And I I had started by being screened by by his producers. So Art gets me on the phone with his producers to tell them the, the, these are the owners of the channel, of the network, of, of its premier radio networks who owns Coast to Coast to Him. And I tell, proceed to tell them the story of, of what I just told you about how Christ appeared to me and it was blinding. I fell on my face and hid my face from the blinding power. And they said, well, we can't have you on the show to talk about that. And I said, okay, well, that's it then. So I get a call from the producer of Art Bell and I'm telling her the same thing. She's very well known. She's she's still the producer at Coast to Coast AM today. Her name is Lisa Lyon. Oh, Lisa Lyon, okay. Right. And Lisa, what I'm about to tell you is is very paranormal. And and she wrote this in the After Dark newsletter at the time. So I'm telling her about my meetings with Christ and all of a sudden the phone just hangs up and I'm like, <laughs> she's not interested. And nobody, they, nobody's interested in, in having me talk about this. So two days later, I get a call back from her, and she said, right in the middle of our conversation, all the switchboards fried like a lightning strike had hit them. <laughs> and that she said, none of them worked, and it took a long time to fix them. And she wrote in the After Dark newsletter, was this some kind of signature from God that David Sreda was telling the truth? She said, I don't know, but she, I know she knows that it was really the universe or God who did it. And it was just putting this signature on the experience to tell her, you better listen to this guy because he's not lying. And yet she couldn't, she got our bell to call me, but I couldn't get on the show because the executives who own the network said no way to that subject of, you know, somebody who's who's met Christ. So he said, what else are you working on? And I said, I'm working on this NASA UFO material. I got these, you know, tapes from Martin Stubbs, and I've been doing communications at NASA, because I know people there, about the, the UFOs that are appearing on these space shuttle tapes. And so I told Art more, and he said, that's what I'm going to have you on for. So he was committed to having me on. It was really weird. He doesn't know me from Adam. He's never had me on a show again before. He turns me down for the, the Jesus experience, and he said, I'm going to have you on for this. And this is super, super mind-blowing what happens, is because I get on the show, my first show with Art Bell. I think I had done one show with Jeff Renz before that, which is the beginning of my radio career. And... 
it's mind-blowing. We're in the middle of this debate. I know so much about photography because I was a professional photographer, award-winning photographer in school. And I'm telling James Olberg that I've studied the space shuttle video cameras. I know they can see into the near and the far ultraviolets, plus very special bands in the infrared. And that these UFOs are not what are called airy disks, and, and they're not out-of-focus phenomena because when... CCD cameras focus, everything's in focus. They have phenomenal depth of focus. You can put a dime one inch from the lens and have a football game going on in the background at the same time, and you can see them both. Whereas a normal camera, you can't do that. So I'm in this huge debate, and James is trying to say it's an optical illusion, and all of a sudden, I mean, this has never happened in the history of Art Bell. Even to this, even before Art died, and the entire world broadcast, the satellite that controls all of the show, meaning it's, it's on 500 stations worldwide, they all turn off. Whoa. In, the, in the same second. Now remember what happened on the switchboard, right? The switchboard before the show, I'm telling Lisa Lyon about me meeting Jesus in Topanga Canyon, and boom, the whole switchboard fried. She said it was like an electrical zap, and everything was toast. And so, so there's our bell, and he says that we're not on the air, but the show's gone. He goes, I don't know what happened. And it, he said, just keep going, because I'm recording you. So I kept debating with James Oberg. And the next day, when the show was over, the next day, Art Bell reads this letter from National Security that got to him through his email, or, or, or um, however he received it. And he, it says that David Sarita was naming names and talking about subjects that this country, this nation is not ready for at this time, and we had to turn Holy off. Holy crap! So they didn't just turn off. It's not like we're on, like, I mean, through a satellite. And it's being rebroadcast through 500 different stations all over the world. And in those days, Art Bell told me there could be as many as 30 million people listening. And he said, if you had a book to sell, you'd be rich tonight. And I said, I'm not selling anything because I don't even have my DVD ready, I told him. So what happens is, the he said there's only two cases where this has happened in the history of the show. And one is the Area 51 caller. And the panicked Area 51 caller was so devastating that the network shut down. But it didn't shut down everywhere. It wasn't the same as mine. Mine had literally turned off every single station in the world. Whereas the Area 51 caller, they didn't have a complete total shutdown. But there was a big shutdown through a lot of networks um, panicked and dropped the, the show. And in recently, somebody claims to be the Area 51 caller. I think it's the CIA, and I think they tried to find someone who sounds a little bit like the guy. But I've, I've listened to both recordings, and I definitely don't believe the guy who's coming forward claiming it's a hoax. Um, I don't believe his story at all. But um, that those are the two cases. But then, again, you know, many times I've done people's shows, and there's almost the same thing has happened. And another time, MTV had a show that was 
calling me from the San Francisco Bay Area to fly me up there to interview me. And I, I started to talk to them on the telephone, on the cell phone, about my meetings with Christ. And he said every single line here in this station just fried except for this one line I'm on with you right now. Every single line except the one that he's on with me. So the whole station just went down. So I know there's, there's great powers. I know that when we're talking on the radio, the, the radio waves have a way of reaching the heavens. And, and I really believe that, that heaven is listening to what is going on on this planet and what goes on through the media that the higher universe has access to. So radio is a great power. And I've had enough experiences, and, and even with George Norrie, there's been several nights where, you know, when George Norrie took over Coast to Coast DM, and he's he's done a great job, very long time he's been doing this. And there's been two times where the same thing has happened, where the the broadcast turns off, and but it's not a complete shutdown worldwide, but but several stations just suddenly turn off at the same time. And there's times that they've lost me completely. They've had a, all of a sudden all the technology fails, and they're and we have to um, find out what the problem is. And they call me on my cell phone, and they're having a, a technical kind of crash. And and just before you and I connected tonight. Um, all of a sudden, my Skype just got the spinning ball, and I had to turn it off and reboot it, and it still wouldn't turn on for about, I guess, 10 minutes, and then it finally came back on. So the reason I'm saying this is I know, you know, Art Bell has just passed away, and I know that he's he's in the domain, but he, of, of the higher universe, but it's not like from that perspective you can't see into this dimension and and see what's going on. And I think he's getting his real answers now. And I hope to have some type of contact with him through any medium um, to see what he's learned now, like what he's found out. And I think if there's anybody on the other side who would like to send a message back, it would be him. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I've said it many times on this show. If art didn't create what he created, this show simply would not exist. And the same could probably be said for most of the other ones. He really is the first. He was the best, in my opinion. And part of the reason for that is because he had a real honest and genuine passion for this material. Yeah, he did. He did in his younger years when he was... And, you know, him and I, I have talked to him on shows about radio and, you know, how, I mean, Tesla the fa- is the true father of radio with Sir Oliver Lodge and Stone. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled on June 21st, 1943, that Marconi was really just a thief who worked for Tesla and got access to his notes during a brief, you know, encounter he had with Tesla. And he went and created you know, the first telegraphic message and broadcasted across the Atlantic. And he was traditionally given credit, but the U.S. Supreme Court ruling shows it's really interesting because Sir Oliver Lodge is a mystic. He was he was definitely a mystic. Hmm. And 
and and he is what see Tesla. Tesla is responsible for the wireless part of radio, but Lodge and Stone are responsible for the tuning of different stations. On, you know, the AM. See, AM means amplitude modulation. So you 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 modulate the pulses on the amplitude on the peaks of the waves, the data. So if you're talking, you're your pulse modulator lines up with the peaks of the waves. And FM means frequency modulation. So mo modulation is really a, a magnetic. It's very similar to the way a microphone works. It's a microphone has, a, you know, the early microphones had a paper screen. Just like, It's almost like a speaker in reverse. Because a speaker has a magnet, a paper cone, and the paper cone with the with the shock absorbers moves forward and backward in response to the coil wrapped around the magnet. And when you send the pulses through the coil, it pushes the magnet to and, and from, and the paper cone pushes the air, and you hear the sound. And a microphone is very similar to that in the way it works in reverse. But pulse modulation... Modulating a wave is to is very similar. It's a magnet that pulses and sends the the pulses onto the radio transmitter, and the radio transmitter can then take the human voice, which normally transmits at the speed of sound around 700 miles an hour to the speed of light, and then it goes at the speed of light to another receiver station. Now, whenever you have a transmitter and receiver that are <clears throat> the same frequency. <clears throat> you have set up radio communication. And I want to point out that, see, this this type of communication that Tesla is really the father of, Tesla found there are aspects of a radio wave, of a wave function, that go many times faster than the speed of light. And he, there's very good notes on this in, in Tesla's experimentations uh, in Colorado Springs where he made observations of in radio of hearing messages coming in from extraterrestrials. Oh, and that's right. A lot of people don't realize that about Tesla. He was actually a believer in aliens. He was definitely a believer, and I believe I have enough evidence that Tesla is responsible for the Roswell incident because he sends a signal, a whopping signal from Pikes Peak, at, you know, in in, um, in Colorado at his lab in Colorado Springs. You go all the way up to Pikes Peak, and he sends this. See, you have to understand how big a wavelength is, right? So I'm going to give you an example because when Tesla sent out his signal. It looks like from some very newly declassified um, um, files on Roswell, and when these just these just came out like last year, people said, "Oh, they got to be fake," because nowadays it's everything is fake, fake news, fake documents, and and if you throw something real at somebody, they don't even know how to recognize it because it's so easy to fake UFO footage. Most of the footage you see on the internet today is fake. It really is. And the, the companies on the web that produce the fake stuff know they're, they're faking everybody, but they're doing it just to make money. 
because they get mega millions of views and YouTube pays them a lot of money because of those views because they monetize it. But these documents came out and I saw them on um, the page of, of the... Um, of the freedom of information guy on, um, I'm just trying to remember his name. He's a young, younger guy who lives in the LA area. You know, he, Black Vault. You know the Black Vault? I heard, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so he put it out and, and he believed they were fake. And I said, wait a minute. There's something in these documents that tells us that these ETs received a signal from Earth saying to come it was a message that was sent out from the earth and they responded. And when I calculated the, the time of the signal from where their star was to earth, they would have, they would have arrived at earth at the speed of light exactly when the Roswell incident occurred. So what, imagine this, imagine Tesla sends a message, because we know from Tesla's notes that he was experimenting with ET signals. He said he was getting messages from the planet Venus or Mars. He was looking in that direction, and, and Tesla was getting um, real messages from that direction. Now, what you do is you take, there's a formula here, and I'm going to show you, it's really easy to do this. But you have to look at the, the, the actual size of what a wavelength is. And it, when you say, like, the Tesla Schumann resonance is 7.83 hertz, well, the size of 7.83 hertz is the size of the circumference of the Earth. So if you sent out a radio wave at a low frequency like that into space, the return would hit the whole planet all at once and you, you couldn't tell where it was intended to be sent back to Earth because the wavelength was so big, right? Because it's the size of the planet. So this is where it gets interesting. What was the wavelength of Tesla's transmission from Colorado Springs? And if you look where Colorado Springs is and New Mexico, they're, they're overlapping each other. So if his wavelength was you know, 100 miles, 200 miles. When the ETs followed it back to Earth, they would say it came anywhere within this given area because this is the size of the wavelength. And they they end up... Now, they didn't crash in New Mexico. We know from my friend Boyd Bushman at Lockheed Martin that his friend is a Navy doctor who was just treating a young pilot who had shot down the Roswell saucers. And there's Roswell, there's Plains of St. Augustine, and there's Aztec, New Mexico. There, there are several crash sites that occurred. But all of them are just south of where Tesla's transmission was, was sent. So I believe Tesla was in communication. He sent a message out. The ETs tracked it back to Earth, and he was probably doing a very advanced modality of, of communication, not using the aspect of an electromagnetic wave that we're familiar with that travels very slow through space. At the, speed of, the speed of light is very slow through space. So Tesla's, the range of his, you know, I'll give you an example. When you calculate wavelengths, this is the formula. So the speed of light 
divided by the wavelength is the frequency. But if you want to know how big the wavelength is, you take the speed of light divided by the frequency, right? So in the early days of radio, at the time of Tesla, the wavelengths were very big. They, they weren't in the gigahertz bands that we're in now. And gigahertz is, you know, can be even just a few centimeters in, in size of wavelengths. And antennas were very, very big, even on military radios in the old days, because antennas are, the height of an antenna is half a wavelength, right? So remember your cell phone antenna, antennas even, they got shorter and shorter and shorter, and then you get those Nextel cellular phones with the little stub antenna, and now your antenna is so small, it's hidden inside the phone, so you don't even see it sticking out, but it's still there. So an antenna is, in a way, an oscillator, because its height is half a wavelength. So times two is a full wavelength, so the speed of light divided by the antenna times two is the frequency of the antenna. Now, this starts to get really interesting, because we're going to get into the staff of Moses and Jesus and Isis and Merlin, um, because that's my newest project. And you get into into the idea that a staff is actually an antenna to call down the the gods and goddesses in their super super crystal light craft, and to to assist the the prophets and prophetesses of of the day. So when we take, for example, at the time of Tesla, like if you take a, a wavelength, I can do it on my calculator right now, just so you can, because what I'm trying to get at is when Tesla transmitted from Colorado Springs in Pikes Peak, the the wavelength that he sent it out at, basically the ETs followed it back to Earth, and they searched a huge area that that is goes way north of Colorado Springs, you know, west and east and south of it. And Roswell is on is on the southern tip of that wavelength, is what I'm saying. So they were cruising everywhere. And we know this from military data that the Roswell saucers didn't just suddenly surprise the military. They had been chasing them for days. And it wasn't it wasn't an accident that they crashed. They were shot down using a very, very advanced weapon that was designed by Tesla himself. Hmm. So which is known as the Tesla death ray. Tesla's death ray was in development at Wright Patterson Air Force Base in 1943. I verified that with military documents. So Roswell was 1947, four years later. And Wright-Patterson Air Force Base is where they took the Roswell saucer. Um, so it went, their saucers went to, they went from um, Santa Fe, New Mexico, to, to the lab in the base there, Los Alamos, and then from Los Alamos they went to Right Pat. And Right Pat is where the Tesla death ray was in development. And there are some suspicions that Tesla was murdered because of the death ray. There, there's a huge investigation that went into the the possible death or murder of Tesla. And in these declassified Tesla FBI files, which I have, they actually mentioned my boss Maglich, who was Maglich was a nuclear fusion scientist that I worked with in association with for over 20 years. And Maglitch passed away just, just recently. 
And and Maglitch, it's a huge story just to get into Maglitch, but he was Yugoslavian, just like Tesla. He got his PhD at MIT, but he's Yugoslavian-American um, citizen, but he was born in Yugoslavia. Maglitch was brilliant, brilliant fusion scientist. And so what I'm saying is that Tesla is probably the one who beckoned the ETs to come. And that means he knows where they're from, the Roswell beings, because he sent the signal. And the signal's wavelength was so big, it's very similar to what's known as the Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. Is that if you, if you consider the wavelength of the, of the light that you're using to make an observation on a tiny scale, when the wavelength is bigger than even the orbit of the particle you're looking for, you can't know where it is with any degree of certainty unless you shorten the wavelength. And the problem is when you shorten the wavelength, you increase the energy of the particle and you alter its position. So the shorter wavelengths of light are more powerful. They transmit more energy. So when, when you're sending out a radio signal, it's, it's very likely you're you're causing ripples in in the fabric of of space time and you're there are quantum quantum sidebands and, and reflections of that light that probably reach into the heavens so it, it this radio thing it gets much much more mysterious like even one of my theories on Roswell is why did it happen that you have these three saucers that crash almost the, the same day, but years later, is the first nuclear test. So you you tested the the first atomic bombs at Trinity Site, New Mexico, in July of 1945, and then in July of 1947, you see you have all these these crash saucers. Yeah, that's really interesting because um, there are some people out there in the UFO world that think all UFO sightings started with a nuclear bomb. I, I don't find that to be exactly true, but you can say in the least that they at least increased quite a bit after that happened. Well, the Battle of 42 UFO incident in Los Angeles was 1942, so we hadn't detonated any atomic bombs at that point. And those were crash retrieve saucers as well. The, the Battle of 42, if you look at the Marshall Memorandums and the George C. Marshall data, it's very clear that when they were shooting at the UFOs over, over, um, basically the Long Beach area, um, of, of Los Angeles, they told everyone to stay in their homes, don't come out. And, and they retrieved, I think, two saucers from that battle and they were taken to what we now call Edwards Air Force Base. But back then it was called Muroc Field. So that's pre-nuclear era. And But I believe what happens when you detonate a nuclear weapon is you create a a ripple in in what's called time dilation. And the time dilation is so deep, it's possible. This is another possibility for what happened to the Roswell craft is that the time dilation says that they were 
immediately impacted by the nuclear explosion um, in Trinity site, New Mexico. I think it was July 22nd, 1945, somewhere around then. And then two years later, 1947, July the 8th, July the 7th, 1947, you have the Roswell Plains of St. Augustine and the Aztec, New Mexico crash there. So it's almost like we didn't see the crash until two years later by the impact of the nuclear bomb that went off two years before. And when I was taking physics, I, I presented to my physics teacher a time dilation theory, and he looked at it on paper, and he said, this is remarkable. He said, you know, we haven't even got into Einstein's time dilation yet, because this is very similar. But I had an actual working model of time dilation. I understood it from not only a mathematical perspective, but a, a graphical perspective. So you could see it on a sheet of paper, what it physically looked like, what time dilation looked like. So imagine that the Roswell crash actually occurred at the, at the detonation of the first atomic bomb. But the effects of that crash, we didn't see it for two years. So that's, that's another possibility of what occurred. Because there's time dilation. When you have intense gammas, at the moment of detonation of a nuclear weapon, there's an intense flash of gamma radiation, which is incredibly powerful. Gammas are immensely, immensely powerful in their ability to distort space-time and, and to do huge damage. So it's, and I personally knew myself, I knew, I got to meet several times in question Glenn Seaborg, and Seaborg worked uh, on the fusion project with Maglitch, and Seaborg was the chairman of the Atomic Energy Commission under Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon, and he authorized all the nuclear testing above and below ground in that era. And he, he wins the Nobel Prize with Macmillan for the explosive, um, the discovery of the explosive isotope of, of uranium, which, you know, becomes plutonium. So he wins... He's really a weapon scientist, Seaborg is. And I got to question him about Howard Hughes, and, and this gets wicked, because, because Howard Hughes was, um, had an aide named John Meyer, and John Meyer was, was, had to live in exile in Vancouver, Canada. You can, people can Google his name. And Meyer wanted me to write the book on him and his story about Howard Hughes. And he said there was nothing wrong with Howard Hughes. That was an actor they had in the hotel. This is what Meyer told me. And I know that, that Hughes, I know this because I've seen enough data from the Hughes um, Corporation that his workers have come forward and and shown me that they have... They, one guy was working in the printing department and, and he said we were printing out blueprints to build a flying saucer. And Hughes was moved to Las Vegas for no other reason to go to Area 51 to help reverse engineer the Roswell craft. He had no desire to live in Las Vegas. So what they did is they set up an actor in, in the hotel to pretend he was Howard Hughes, but remember, nobody could see him. Remember, 
What the data says in Howard Hughes is no one was allowed to see him. And the reason no one was allowed to see him is because it wasn't him. And this is what Meyer told me. So I was driving Seaborg um, to the airport in Orange County after this huge meeting I had set up with Southern California Edison and Maglitch and, and Seaborg for the nuclear fusion project to try to get funding from the, the, the utilities company, Southern California Edison. And, and I asked Seaborg about Howard Hughes and he started shaking. You know, he was uncontrollably angry and he said, damn him, and his head was shaking. He almost stopped our nuclear weapons testing. And Hughes hired Meyer to, to bribe every presidential candidate a million dollars. It was a lot of money back then. Um, it's like a hundred million dollars today because, you know, real estate is a hundred times more expensive today than it was in the, in the 1960s and early 70s. And he said that he almost stopped our nuclear weapons testing and that's what he was doing. Meyer was, Meyer was taking Hughes' orders to end the testing of the nuclear weapons. And Hughes knew something. He knew about the ETs. He obviously had access to Area 51. That's why he was stationed in Las Vegas. And he was making regular trips to the site to look at the retrieve saucer from, from 1947. And they were working on reverse engineering it. And I think Hughes got a message from the ETs that we needed to stop the, the nuclear weapons testing because we were, we were distorting the fabric of space time and we were letting in dark energies and possibly even very dangerous ETs into our our space. Oh, hey, David, have you heard of this Jack Parsons fellow? No. Supposedly, he was a student of Aleister Crowley that uh, worked in the rocket development program for our country, and he was doing some uh, cult magic sorcery stuff out in the desert, and uh, supposedly he opened up one of these portals, and, and something came through. Wow, when did this happen? Uh I would have to look that up. Um, I do know that he, there's been a couple books written about him. He's well known in the occult circles, not so much in other areas, but I, I have to wonder if there's a connection between that and what you're talking about right now. It sounds like it lines up perfect. It probably does. I mean, I see, I believe Seaborg was given a warning not to do the testing above ground, that above ground testing was opening up a, a wormhole and tearing the fabric of space time, allowing certain ETs to get into our physical space that shouldn't be here. And it is interesting to me, if you look in the, in the history of psychology, my dad got a PhD in psychology at Berkeley in the 60s, and when you study the old, old psychologists, the phenomenon of E.T. abductions and the greys, I would really like to know the answer to this. Do they predate Roswell and the first atomic blast? Because I can't see, when I read William James, I've read William James' Varieties of Religious Experience, and he's the founder of psychology and psychiatry at Harvard and Yale, and there are no cases... In, in the annals of psychiatry that I can see 
in William James's records that resemble an alien abduction. They seem to have started in the era of the atomic age. And if it's true that what we did by detonating nuclear weapons above ground, that we let in some dark ETs that shouldn't be here, then it would explain their sudden arrival and their sudden um, appearance in, in psychology. Because, I, again, I don't know the answer to the question. Does anybody know of cases that predate? Now, we do also know that nuclear weapons probably existed in biblical times, in ancient biblical times, and, and that the, the Hindus have records in the Mahabharata and the Gita of such weapons being used in, in their part of the world, and they have evidence of, of cities that are covered in a radioactive ash to this day. So it's not to say that that these type of portals haven't been opened by these type of weapons in the past. But I don't know of any cases of anything that look like what we call UFO abduction cases today in 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 the history even reading Freud, even reading, you know, William James or reading any of the other classic American or European psychologists or psychiatrists, there's there's nothing like it. Like, like today, you will see more and more of these cases, and some of the ETs are ben, are you know benevolent. So they're very peaceful, and they've healed people of illnesses. I know people who have baffled doctors who say ETs have appeared and cured them of of something they were going to need surgery for, and they don't need the surgery anymore. So. But the time dilation and the tearing of the fabric of space-time allows um, forces and beings to come in. And, and some of these craft actually work that way. They create a miniature micro-wormhole. It's so small and it takes so little energy to do this, to get the physical craft out of the physical space-time. Because physical space-time is too difficult to move through at any any considerable speed between star systems can't move at the speed of light between star systems through space. I mean, you hit one, if you're doing 90% of the speed of light and you hit a rock, it'll just shred your ship. And you're going to hit a rock if you point straight. You can't turn at that speed. You can't turn. You turn, you're dead. The G-forces on the turn will destroy you. So the, we know that they don't work that way. So what I what I'm interested in now is I've developed I've done I spent years of researching the theory that the staff of Moses, which then becomes the staff of Jesus, which used to be the staff of Isis, and it, the staff is actually an antenna, and the the math is very simple. But you there's no way that it's easy to find the length of Moses' staff, but I was able to find it. Exactly. And if you know the staff's length, and you know its height, you know its frequency, and you know the frequency that Moses communicated to to God, his God, um, through the staff with. And that's why, like, imagine, your your people are in exile. The, the Pharaoh of Egypt is not consistent with your beliefs, and your people are being used as slaves. And God has this perspective from a massive craft above the area and can see everything, can see when the people are fleeing in mass numbers, 
and can tell them, turn left, turn right, don't go that way because there's armies waiting on the other side of the bluff. And, and Moses is getting his messages through the staff. And the staff, to, you know, if, if the way we know the length of the staff is because the Bible tells us in two places, both in the Old Testament, in the time, the books of Moses, and both in the, in the, the New Testament, um, that there's a vision of Christ that tells us that the staff lay inside the Ark of the Covenant, which is the length of the Ark of the Covenant. And if you know them, that when God told, um, when God told the prophet to build the Ark of the Covenant, Moses, it is two and a half cubits. But this is where it gets really difficult because there's so many cubits. And the Old Testament says, that the the staff lay next to the ark. And I believe that they're both saying the same thing, that the staff is the same length of the ark. And the ark of the covenant is this electrical supercharged capacitor that that is keeping the staffs charged. And there's a total of 12 staffs for the 12 um, tribes of Israel. So there's 12 staffs. And they're all the length of the ark, and they all get charged in the ark. And the twelve tribes of Israel heads each becomes a staff holder. And so Moses' staff and the twelve becomes legend. That as the ages and the generations pass down from Moses, there's always twelve staffs for the twelve heads of the twelve tribes. And when we come to the birth of Christ in what's called the the infancy gospel of James, um, we see Joseph, Jesus' father, is one of the twelve staff holders of his time, and they they see that the Virgin Mary is pregnant without a husband, and that whoever is to be her husband, they they ask for an answer with their twelve staffs, and the Holy Spirit, the white bird, lands or appears and manifests on the tip of the staff of Joseph. So the staff is immensely powerful in being in direct connection with the power and the magnitude of the Holy Spirit, which is the most unimaginable feeling when the Holy Spirit actually comes to you. It's actually appeared to us many times in our house, and it's astounding because everybody, including the children, my, my, my daughters report it. it. It's an immense, immense light and ecstasy, supernatural ecstasy and love that completely overtakes you. And you actually see the bird. You actually see the pure white bird. And the, the staff is proportional to the Holy Spirit in communication. So the length of the staff has to be exact. If you have the wrong measurement for the royal cubit, your staff will be the wrong length. And what's really funny to me is it's so clear in the book of Ezekiel that this angel comes down with a staff, and we know exactly how long that angel's staff was, um, because this is a giant, giant angel. It's six cubits, and that's huge. So we we know that Moses didn't have the staff that the angel had in Ezekiel, but Ezekiel, the angel, says that a cubit is a cubit in a handbreadth. And, and that tells you that that's a royal cubit and that God would never use the common builder's cubit. I can't believe how many Jews today get this wrong. Do you honestly think your God would use the common lowly builder's cubit of 18 inches? 
They're about to build, rebuild Solomon's Temple in Jerusalem. There's a huge amount of money, this huge project, and they're going to use the 18-inch cubit. And it's ridiculous that they can't read the book of Ezekiel because it says a cubit in a handbreadth. And there's no... The cubit symbolically is elbow to fingertips plus a handbreadth. There's nobody I know except for a child whose elbow to fingertip plus handbreadth will equal 18 inches. It, it's... So, what is the true royal cubit inch? And I found it. It took me a long time because I'm looking at this cubit and that cubit. Why does everyone disagree on how many inches there are per cubit? The inch goes all the way back to the times of Babylon and, and in ancient Egypt. It's actually an Egyptian Babylonian invention as a unit of measure. It's not a British one. The British inch is visually exactly the same as theirs. It's .00106 difference. The reason this is so critical to know the exact length is if you don't have the exact length, you're going to generate the wrong frequency and you're going to bring in the wrong energy. So you have to be right. And believe me, I know I've done this right because I found the source that firstly, the Egyptians themselves in, in archaeological, you know, excavations, we only found two or three rulers to determine how many inches they had in their royal cubit. And the rulers varied. They varied because the Egyptians didn't know themselves. They, they varied between 20.6 and 20.8 inches, not 18 inches, which is the common cubit. So, the fact that they varied means the Egyptians must not have known exactly, exactly how many inches there were in a, in a royal cubit or a biblical cubit. So what happens next is I go to the Great Pyramid and I find consistently, consistently in 14 places the exact expression of two royal cubits, which is... Which is 41.21 inches equals two royal cubits. So half of that, 20.605, well within the accepted range of 20.6 to 20.8 is the correct number. So then when we take that times the length of the arc, we get the pyramid number of 51.5125 inches. So that means the arc that Moses had is the same number as the slope angle of the Great Pyramid, 51 degrees and 51 minutes but it's 51.5125 inches. So with that, you're, you're, you're only halfway to the secret on the staff of Moses that, that I have discovered. So the staff, if you know its length, you know its frequency, but it's way deeper than that. It's what the staff is made out of, the gems that were in it, and the frequency that you charge it with, because the the staffs, the 12 staffs, Moses, Aaron, and the other 10, they lay in the ark for a reason. The ark recharged them. And if they weren't recharged at the correct frequency in the ark, they were useless. They, so I know all of that at this point. And, and I believe to this day, the secret to the ark of the covenant is if you know its frequency and you transmit with the correct staff anywhere within a mile of it, it will switch on. 
because the, the arc will only let that frequency inside of it. It can't let any other frequency inside of it. And a frequency is a wavelength. And, and a temple has to be the exact wavelength to allow the exact frequency to manifest inside of it. So Solomon's temple is a rectangle. And at the back of the rectangle is a square cube, 20 by 20 by 20 cubits. And that's the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. And inside of the Ark of the Covenant are the 12 staffs. Now these 12 staffs are legend. And they get handed down from generation to generation all the way to Jesus. And Jesus, in Mark 6, says... When he disperses the 12, the, the, there's 12 major apostles, there's 72 minor apostles, and there's seven women. And when he disperses the 12, he says, don't forget your staff. He says, you can forget anything else, but don't forget your staff. And, and we're like, what? Christians don't know that Jesus was a staff order. They can't even picture him with a staff. But yet he's saying in Mark 6, don't forget your staff. Because why? Because your staff is your oscillator to calibrate you to be at the frequency that Christ is at. And Christ is at the same frequency that Moses and Aaron and the Twelve were at. And, and the, then you, you come all the way forward to King Arthur and Merlin who creates the round table of the Twelve Knights with the Twelve Swords. And those swords have to be the same length as the staff because they're actually antenna. The, the swords are antennas. They're conductors. So they're all the same length. And the, the length is only part of it. It's a tiny part of it. So don't think you can do this on your own. I have the book on how... I, there's, there's three things we're offering. You can make your own stuff, and I'll teach you how for a, for a training fee of $111.11 and you'll know that that number is a magical number and also you can buy our level 1 level 2 and level 3 staffs and they you have to plug them into a frequency generator and vibrate them at the correct frequency to activate them and then when you touch them with your body you start vibrating at that frequency as well and you train with a, it's a whole series of frequencies. See, the, the idea now is what made Moses so powerful? What made Jesus so powerful? Is first who they were. But second, the staff allowed them to draw on a power that was supernatural. Because the proportions of the staff to the Ark of the Covenant means the staff could draw on the power of the ark at a distance from the ark. That's why the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel had to have the ark, and they had to have their 12 staffs, which is what the Old Testament and the books of Moses tell us. It's all in my book. on, on pro, It's called Project Jesus Staff. And, and you can just get it from me by writing David Sarita at hotmail.com and you can see the details and the quotations in the Bible. So my theory today is the Great Pyramid of Egypt. I can prove mathematically that it's not Egyptian. They never found one hieroglyph inscribed in it when they first opened it. It is actually has all the same math as the Holy of Holies, Solomon's Temple, and the Ark of the Covenant. 
And the reason it does is because it was designed by the same architect as the architect of the angels giving the prophets the instructions. Because those temples, the Holy of Holies, I know the frequency of the Holy of Holies. So the frequency of the Holy of Holies is vibrating around the Ark of the Covenant. And then the Ark of the Covenant has a frequency. And they all are in step frequencies to resonate together. And the Ark draws off the power of the Great Pyramid. Because the Ark is the length of the code number of the Great Pyramid. The 51.5125 in 51 degrees 51 minutes is the slope angle of the Great Pyramid. And if you take the the unfinished capstone base of the Great Pyramid today, the, the square platform at the top is 472 point something inches per side. So you take that times four, the speed of light in inches divided by that gives you 5151, 5.151 megahertz. So that number is so important, so incredibly important because the, the, the Ark of the Covenant is drawing off the power of the Great Pyramid. The, the Great Pyramid is drawing off the power of the universe and the staff holders their staffs are in proportion to the Ark of the Covenant, so they're drawing, they're actually, each staff holder is drawing off the power of the Great Pyramid when the Great Pyramid was working. So the Great Pyramid is this giant crystal stone oscillator generating frequencies that are in proportion to the Ark and the staffs. And so the people who held those staffs were so powerful because they were vibrating at the correct frequencies. And that gets handed down from generation to generation to generation all the way to Merlin. And Merlin delivers it to the 12 heads of the 12 uh, members of the round table. And King Arthur is the head of the table. And those swords are their staffs. And they, those knights are resonating, resonating at that frequency. And I've never told anybody this on radio before, this whole story. And this is, these staffs are available, the, the ones that are the most advanced that are going, they're available now. And if you, if you take one into your hands and you start working with it, if you're not a person of integrity, it's going to backfire on you. These are only for people of integrity. These are only for people who are true true light beings to be bringing in this is where it gets really really uh, really challenging is i want you to see now 200,000 microwave towers in and around the united states those are the dark towers those are staffs that are plugged into the ground and the height of those towers times two the speed of light divided by that is the frequency that those towers are operating at and they are transmitting all the microwaves all over the planet right now to manipulate mass consciousness it's almost like that movie uh with george clooney is it called um tomorrowland i think is what it's called yeah the very remember in the end of the movie they see that there there's a transmitter that's transmitting this negative message to humanity and everyone believes it because they're transmitting it and and it's literally that powerful I mean I've seen an actual US patent 
you know, I posted this on my wall, and I, I went to the U.S. Patent Office because somebody had posted it, and I really wanted to see, is it really true that they can, they can manipulate people's brains with frequencies being transmitted on radio waves? And I, as sure enough, I went and looked up the patent, and that's exactly what it says. Yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. Uh, last time that we spoke years ago, one of the questions I asked you was, are we in a matrix? And, and you said yes, and it sounds like you've gotten a lot further in that research. Exactly. We, we are living in a matrix, and it is being broadcast. Here it is, right here. U.S. patent number 6506148. So you go to USPTO, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office number, office, and enter that patent number, and it's, here it is, it's, um, it says abstract. Physiological effects have been observed in human subjects in response to stimulation of the skin with weak electromagnetic fields that are pulsed with frequencies of a half of a hertz to 2.4 hertz. This is the beginning of the patent. And it says that the many computer monitors and TV tubes when displaying pulsed images emit pulsed electromagnetic fields of sufficient amplitudes to cause such excitation. It is therefore possible to manipulate the nervous system of a subject by pulsing images displayed on a nearby computer monitor or TV set. For the latter, the image pulsing may be embedded in the program material or it may be overlaid by modulating, remember we talked about modulation, pulse modulation, a video stream, either as a radio frequency signal or a video signal. The image displayed on a computer monitor may be pulsed effectively by a simple computer program. For certain monitors, pulsed electromagnetic fields capable of exciting sensory residence in nearby subjects, meaning humans, may be generated even as the displayed images are pulsed with subliminal intensity. This this patent was first applied for in 1971, and this this filing is in Laguna Beach in June 1st, 2001. So that there's advances and advances in the actual patent, in the technology. So they've known about this since the early 70s, and they're just getting better and better at it. So they can, they can disturb the, the human organism and nervous system so as to manipulate it. So what I'm saying is they have these staffs, towers, 200,000 of them surrounding everyone. And what I'm hoping will happen with my discovery of the staff of Moses, because ISIS also had the staff in Jesus and Merwin, is that we need to have, everybody needs to have one of these in their house, plugged in emitting the harmonic frequency to counteract the dark frequencies. And I know because most people that I'm speaking to right now are dead asleep, who don't believe anything is wrong. you got to see the movie Tomorrowland with George Clooney because you don't get it until you realize, until you're free, you don't get it that you're actually in prison in your mind. These people, like I had a guy who worked for one of the biggest satellite companies in America in Seattle, 
who bought one of my wands from davidsarita.net and he 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 told me that they actually know what they're doing they're they're running the internet at a precise frequency that they know damages the nervous system and he wanted to buy one of my devices to counteract the negative effects because he was working there so when they say they can pulse modulate between 0.1 and 15 hertz that's the delta and theta function of the brain going into alpha, 0.1 all the way to 15 hertz is, is, is the brain. That's, that's delta is 0.1 to 4 hertz, 5 hertz, and then you go into theta 5 to, you know, upper sevens, and then alpha is 8 to 14. So you're, you're just, you're covering the most important part of the brain. This is where they're transmitting into the nervous system. This is what this patent is saying. I have it right in front of me here. Now, I'm going to send you this, and you can post this on your site for, you know, those who are, you know, you can post this in when you archive the interview. There's the patent right there, putting it in your Skype chat. So it's happening. You, you I know people are going to say, well, you know, I'm fine. It's no problem. They can keep doing it because I seem to be fine. <laughs> That's what you're saying. But you don't know what it's like to get out of prison because you're in it and you've actually accepted it. And there's many ways we accepted the matrix. We, we accepted it because we're afraid of, we're, we're afraid of not being taken care of. That's the bottom line. We're afraid of not having shelter, food, and clothing. So that's how they get everyone that's why the saints had to face poverty what they call the poverty of the saints because you have to strip yourself bare to know that you can survive with next to nothing so that you can become free but it's not that heaven is is poverty it's just that in this world the 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 dark forces of manipulation that believe in control rather than freedom and bliss and ecstasy they they want you to be a controlled subject controlled subject and the the number one way to manipulate consciousness is through frequency because your brain and your heart and your nervous system are electrical systems that can be electrically superimposed or inducted by frequency transmission so all those towers you have all those cell phones and everybody texting all day long you're inside of that field being manipulated and and so am i but the difference is in my house i have a staff transmitting 24 7 the frequency of the holy of holies i mean i i train people a whole list of frequencies that are harmonic and and i believe if we were in jerusalem or wherever the ark is if if 12 of us or more were transmitting 24 7 the correct frequency, which I, I believe I know what that number is, of the arc itself, the arc will turn on. It will reveal its location, and it will send a beam of light into the sky, and the, it will mark the end and bring bring God, the true God, not not the Anunnaki, the fallen gods. The, you see, if you, if you go into your Gnostic Christianity, Jesus clarifies who the dark fallen, not fallen angels, but fallen gods are. And he even tells 
the a group of Jews in the in the canonized Bible. There's a very clear description where he tells these the group of Jews, "You're worshiping the wrong God. The God you're worshiping is a God of war. He's a liar. He was a murderer and a liar since the beginning." And and that's in your Bible, even if you don't believe in the Gnostics. But the Gnostics, Jesus refers to this fallen God as Yelp to Baoth. And he's he's like an Anunnaki fallen God who's egotistical, who's a warfaring God, who who basically leads people into battle. And and that's the one in the canonized Bible that Jesus is saying that some of the Jews got sucked into the wrong God. And and so so when you get into these conspiracy theories about the Anunnaki, it's it's you don't you can't blanket it like every single god is bad because they have power, and and we're victims of their power. You have to see with clear eyes who has the real light and who is trying to free you from slavery because this planet is it's clear, it's very clear. I mean. Just look at it. You you can look at, like, when I graduated from high school in Vancouver, Canada, I moved from California to Vancouver, Canada for high school with my brothers and my dad. Um, a home was $58,000, the average price for a home. The average wage, average wage was $12,000 a year. So that's five years of labor of one person to pay for a house. But today, houses in Vancouver are three to four million dollars, and in Los Angeles they're one to two million dollars. You know, middle-income homes. So, and look at people's wages. The wages haven't gone up that much. So, how how many years are you going to be in economic slavery to pay for a house? First of all, that was built fifty years ago, and it's no sweat off the bank's back. But the the, quite, the the point is they're imprisoning you. They're saying you're going to enter this mortgage, which means death gauge, and you're going to you're going to volunteer to go into this prison. I'm going to create for you because you're afraid of not having shelter. Yeah, you got to live somewhere. You got to live somewhere. So you're going to enter into this mortgage, and and that's how they got us because we would die if we had to live in the cold in the winter time. And we don't want to live on the streets. But so they, they basically imprisoned us so bad. And they said this planet has been doing this. Go back to the time of Christ when the Roman tax collectors came. And they don't care if you starve or the teeth are rotting out of your mouth. you got to pay your tax or they'll kill you. So it, it's similar today. But those people who represent that that machine are the dark ones. And everyone who works for them is is submitted themselves into that in their afterlife. Their afterlives will be just like that. They're going to be stuck in the control, the beings of control. And those beings are the, the dark Anunnaki, the ones that Jesus warns us about in the Gnostic Gospels, who are the egotistical gods and goddesses. And those are the ones that that basically imprison others. Why do they imprison others? Because they suck off their energy and their wealth and they do nothing but sit there and run a calculator and charge you interest and tax. And interest was forbidden in the Old Testament. The, the Hebrew God said to the Jews, you cannot charge usury when loaning money 
to those people who don't have money. And, and the only reason you would borrow money is you don't have enough. So you can't charge interest. And, and, a, and a true Muslim can't do it either. You can't loan money to people and charge them interest. The people who don't have money. Well, you know, they can change that word to poor, but even if they change it to poor, the banks won't lend poor people money at zero interest. So the bankers have violated the law of freedom that the true ancient God of the ancient world didn't want people enslaved, so created this one of these commandments is you can't charge usury for loaning money to people who don't have money. And if you don't have money to buy a house, then you need to get a loan, but you can't, according to the Bible, you can't charge them usury, but they do. So they violated God's law in, in keeping the people free. And they did it because they're parasites. They're, they're like a parasite in your body that's leaching off of your blood. They want you to work your butt off all day, and they can sit back and collect billions of dollars every year. But that's what this world is. You know, it hasn't changed. You go back to the time of Moses. Go back to the time of the Egyptian pharaohs. They, this, this planet has a history of enslaving their people. So when the, when the God of the Hebrews said that my people are enslaved and Moses was going to free them, and Moses has his staff, and when he raises it into the sky, he gets an answer, and the answer is powerful. But see, nobody has the staff today. It's not used in the churches. You'll, you'll see the priest walking in with the, the sacraments in the Catholic Church, and they carry this long, very tall staff, which is, which again is not the correct height. Um, so it's not vibrating at the correct frequency. I, I don't think, I've taken measurements in most Christian churches I've been to. Their, their inner sanctum is not a Holy of Holies measurement. Nobody has followed the, the instructions that the angel gave to Ezekiel that are very precise on the measurement of a Holy of Holies. It's 20 by 20 by 20 cubits. And a cubit is a cubit in handbreadth, so that's a royal cubit. So that would put the Holy of Holies, the radius would be 17 Point seventeen feet. Now, if you go to the um, if you go to the Church of the Nativity of Christ, you'll see a fourteen-pointed star there with the number seventeen point seventeen written on it, and and that's what those numbers mean. Because seventeen point seventeen times three points of a triangle is five one five one, which is Great Pyramid angle. It all comes back to the Great Pyramid, and the Great Pyramid not being an Egyptian monument, that it was discovered by the brown-skinned people who we call the Egyptians today. And they were studying the math and, and trying to figure out what a royal cubit inch was themselves, because they didn't invent it. It wasn't their invention. It, it existed before them when they found this pyramid sitting there. And, and Cheops most likely it, it discovered it and claimed it to be his own. It's not, he, it's not his design. The only way it could be Cheops' pyramid is if he's God. That would be the only way. Yeah, it seems like there's some very, very loose, very loose evidence of him being associated with it. Oh, yeah, I, I just think he claimed it. And I think he wanted to be buried in it because they found it. And it was the most astounding thing sitting there on the plane after the time of the of the 
of the great flood or the ice age. I mean, Graham Hancock says, I think it's, there was an ice age some 10,000, 11,000 years ago. And after it settled, and it wouldn't settle in a day, it might have taken hundreds of years for it to settle. And if the pyramid was from the previous era, and it was it was covered in ice, then it would have preserved it. And you can't carbon date stone, so you there is a new technology that's emerged where they can they can do this this amazing um, photoelectric calculation on the gap where stones are sealed and they know how to tell when the stone was set. They can date the period when a stone went into the dark in that little gap where the, that perfect sealed gap between the stones. And that was something that um, Robert Temple was working with. He went into Egypt with this new technology with his physicist, and Zahi Was tore up his um, permission slip to go into the Great Pyramid and redate it. Because he didn't want to be embarrassed. He didn't want to be wrong and find out that it's not Cheops Pyramid and it's much, much older. So they weren't allowed to use the technology in Egypt. But the, all the math points, like here you go. Watch, I'll show you how it works. You take your calculator on your computer. It's really easy to do this. And you go, okay, your true royal cubit inch in 14 places in the Great Pyramid this is in Peter Lem Missouri's book, The Great Pyramid Decoded. They found that 41.21 inches is two wall cubits. So half of that is 20.605. Now watch this. We're going to start with Noah's Ark, the boat, and you're going to arrive at 5151 again. Now watch. So you take 20.605 inches on your calculator, and Noah's Ark, supposedly a boat, was 300 cubits long. So that times 300 cubits is 61815. So 6181.5 inches. Now first of all, 618 is golden ratio number. But now let's divide that by 12 inches per foot. And notice that they didn't have the foot at the time of the pyramids and even Jesus, but they did have the 12. The 12 was everything. 12 staffs, 12 tribes, 12 apostles. So you take Noah's Ark, the 6,181.5 inches divided by 12, and it's 515.125 feet. So it's 515.125 feet. Now that's the exact length of the Ark of the Covenant and the staff of Moses and Aaron, but you just move the decimal over one. But it's the same numbers. 515125, but it's 515.125 feet. So now watch again. Now we're going to go to the Holy of Holies. So 20.605 inches per cubit times, the Holy of Holies is 20 by 20 by 20 cubits. So let's go times 20 cubits, and guess what number you get? The 4121. That's the most common measurement in the Great Pyramid in 14 places. That's where we started. Half of that is the true royal cubit inch, but the decimal moved over one point. Okay, so there's so, a whole code in here. It's a code, and this code ties the Holy of Holies to the Great Pyramid. Now, this gets even worse for pyramid researchers, because what's on the top of Chichen Itza in, central, uh, in the Yucatan? I've been there with my wife. It's not a pyramidian. It's a cubic building. It, and there's walking space all the way around. So if the Holy of Holies is 412.1 inches by 412 inches, divide that by feet, 12, 
and we get 34.34 feet. Now, divide that again to get the radius by 2, it's 17.17. And the 17.17 is are the numbers stamped on the seal at the birthplace of Christ. But wait a minute, see this gets interesting. The platform of the base of the Great Pyramid is 472 point something inches. So what that's 34.34 feet, right? So you take 472 points, let's say 0.6 inches. It, it, it may not be exactly right, but it's very close. And divide that by 12. And the base of the Great Pyramid is 39.38 feet. So let's subtract that. Subtract 34.34 feet for a holy of holies to see how much walking space we have around a cube at the top of the Great Pyramid. And that gives us 5 feet of walking space around the edge of the... So if you put a Holy of Holies cube up there, that gives you about two and a half feet per side for the last step. So imagine you're coming up the Great Pyramid from four sides. And now look at the Chichen Itza. You look at the stairs coming up from the four sides on the Chichen Itza. There's, a, there's, there's just one last step and you're stepping inside of the square... It's not a cube, but it's it's a square building. It's and it's sitting on top of Chichen Itza. So this gives us um, 34.34 feet. No, but it's it's more than that. Let me. I know it's more than that. Let me just go into that. I I don't have the right number for the top of the Great Pyramid because I know it's more than two and a half feet per side. So I'll get you the number in a second. But the point is, people figure that the flat base. Uh, okay, no, I'm, I'm wrong. It's 572.1 inches per side. So, so we have more walking space than we, we just thought. So here's the number. So we take, we measure one side length. So 572.1 inches divided by 12 is 47.67 feet. So subtract 34. 0.34 feet from that for a holy of holies cube. That gives you 13.335 feet. Divided by 2 gives you your walking space. Guess what the walking space is? 6.66 feet. So you have 6.66 feet. I mean, how perfect is that? Three sixes, right? So you have 6.66 feet of walking space all the way around the sides of the holy of holies sitting on the top of the Great Pyramid. I mean, that's remarkable. Because to be left with a number with, with three sixes, I mean, the, the sixes are everything. And the, the hexagram is, the, the hexagon, meaning the six-sided geometry, is the basis for every element on the periodic table. If you go through God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, it's God created the sixes and rested the seventh. It, the sixes are the geometry of, if you look up elements on the periodic table, lithium, hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, almost all of the geometries of the crystal structures of everything on Earth are, are six bases. They're all based on six-sided geometries. And even the cube, like the cube, 
is six sides. There's six sides to a cube. And what's interesting about about the the idea of of the Holy of Holies sitting on top of the Great Pyramid is that it's it's four it's the four one two one inches four hundred and twelve point one inches and the most common measurement in the Great Pyramid is the four one point two one inches is two wall cubits. It's probably a great shock to pyramidologists to consider that Chichen Itza is also, Chichen Itza has 45 degree angle stairwells coming up to the top of the pyramid where there's the square building at the top, the temple, or its Holy of Holies. And I need to get the exact measurement on the Chichen Itza Holy of Holies on the top. But the... The most amazing thing here is the slope angle of the Chichen Itza pyramid is the 51 degrees and 51 minutes. It, it varies on its sides because of settling in, in the earth, but it's so close to 51 degrees and 51 minutes, even though it varies slightly on the sides from the 51, it's very clear that whoever designed Chichen Itza knew the same mathematics as the builder of the Great Pyramid. And if the builder of the Great Pyramid is God, and it's actually the missing temple to the Lord in Isaiah. So it says in Isaiah 19.19. And you'll see these double numbers. Like the Holy of Holies is 17.17 feet radius, or 34.34 feet is, is the width. And, and, and so when you see Isaiah 19.19, you'll see how God speaks in these languages. It says, in that day shall there be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar at the border thereof to the Lord. So so we don't see in Egyptology an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt. But we know there's the Great Pyramid. And the math in the pyramid is so consistent with the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant that it's very much telling us that it's the same architect because the architect leaves their signature in the measurements. So the staff is is the length of the ark because it's a transmitter that draws on the power of the ark and draws on the power of the Great Pyramid. And Moses was trained in all things Egyptian, all things Egyptian. So what Jesus does is he goes and he copies, because he's a rabbi, the the same mathematical harmonics of having 12 apostles holding 12 staffs. Now, it gets more amazing. So now let's take our calculator, and if the staff length is 51.5125 inches times 12 staffs, how long would 12 staffs add up to? Golden ratio number, 618.15. Now, 1 to 1.618 is golden ratio, but golden ratio is also 1 to 0 0.618 because that's how you step golden ratio down. So 618 is the golden number, which is the, which is the harmonic proportions of nature, of nature itself. So the fact that 12 staffs add up to this number tells me I have the correct number for the length of the staff. Now, if I take the current version of 18 inches per cu biblical cubit, oh my God, times 12 staffs, 
it's going to add up to 216. It, it's meaningless, meaningless number. So the fact that the measurement that I'm using adds up to the golden number is, in to me, absolutely inarguable proof that if we're going to rebuild the Holy of Holies, and it has to be the right measure, and, and that's the inner dimension measure because it traps the frequency of the wavelength of the inner cavity. And if that's wrong, you're going to bring in a portal to the wrong being, and it isn't going to be God. It's not going to be the good God, the God, the God of the light, and the God who wants to free people from slavery. And it, it's going to be some other God. There's a whole link here to sound and vibration and our moods and our and our happiness. It all seems so very closely related. Well, yeah, because one thing that my wife and I did is we took all the wavelengths up the side of the Great Pyramid and we found the superior tonal music scale with 360 musical tones. And when we tone test the pyramid scale compared to our modern music scale, I'll send you a video link to that that you can post as well. You can see the pyramid scale, which is really, I believe, the, the, the musical scale of the angels is by far superior harmonically. It's by far superior. And that is proven in, in the, both in the math and also the tone testing that we did. So I'm going to just get that video so you can put, put this up. And we test the 432 scale, which, which is very distorted. We, we test the solfeggio scale, which is not really a scale because you don't have octaves in solfeggio, but solfeggio is pretty good. It tone tests pretty good, but it's, it, there is distortion after the fourth note. Our music scale distorts all the way through. The 444 distorts, uh, distorts badly. So pyramid tones is the, I'm going to put this, you can put this up on your site as the video, um, of the, of the great pyramid music scale. See, what happened is the Greek god Apollo and Hermes are credited with the first lyre or harp with Athena and and they they develop a music scale that Pythagoras then elaborates on and we get the Pythagorean music scale but at the same time another Greek contemporary named Orpheus not Morpheus but Orpheus goes to Egypt and comes back with a superior music scale that was so much more melodic and more beautiful than the, the scale of Apollo and his brother in Athena, that the god Zeus is enraged and he, he kills Orpheus. But, and apparently the Orphic tradition was similar to the, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They would go door to door and convert people um, to the Orphic music scale and the Orphic philosophy, that the, the tones were the secret to turning on your activating your light body, what is known as the chrism in Christianity. And in the gospel of the Egyptians, which is a Christian Gnostic gospel, Jesus is teaching the disciples how to do the tones to activate their light body. This is in the gospel of the Egyptians. So, and, and clearly Jesus, like Moses, was raised in Egypt. We know that Jesus, his family fled the, the terror of the persecution of the, of the infants, and they raised him in Egypt. 
And the Egyptian church, the Coptic Christian church to this day, has all the records of Jesus' infancy in his childhood. So the, the, the Egyptian system of using tones with the voice and mastering perfect pitches probably stems from the Great Pyramid's wavelength music skill, which I discovered, you know, about four or five years ago and have been talking about ever since. So that's more pyramidology that is very, very new compared to the work of, of Hancock and Baval and, um, and Robert Temple. Have you ever met those guys? No, you know, they're, they're pretty snobby guys. I have to say that I've gotten some emails from Robert Baval, but one of the problems with researchers is they take themselves very seriously. And it, if you're somebody else, even though I've been on Art Bell 25 times, George Norrie 30, 35 times, um, over a period of, you know, 19 years, and I've been on CNN, Fox News, History Channel, Discovery Channel, they still don't care. If you try to talk to Graham Hancock, he's just going to hang up the phone. He wouldn't return an email. If I told him I found a music scale in the Great Pyramid, he won't even listen. You know, they're, they're good researchers. It's not that they're not good at what they do, but they're so full of themselves. They, they would never look at somebody like me. I mean, they would look, maybe Baval and Hancock might pick up the phone once in a while. Well, I'd love to hear that conversation personally. Yeah, it's like when you go to UFO conferences, they can be friendly to you, but when you go home, they won't return your email. None of them. Well, we'll talk to you. It's just how they are. I kind of tried to bring people together, and I had this illusion that maybe we could let down our egos and and actually communicate with each other. But I think it's not possible. I, I just I get I give up on the idea. I, I know what you mean. I've pretty much given up on the hope of bringing Graham on this show. He's he's got bigger things going on. <laughs> well, it's not just that. It's they they won't like. Why doesn't Hancock talk to Robert Temple? I, I think, personally, Robert Temple is the most brilliant in, in ancient Egypt of anybody. Uh, I think his work is, is paramount. I mean, I, I don't think Hancock and Baval, the, how far they've gone with the star connection is, it, it's good they opened the door. To the star connection from the pyramids to the certain certain stars, but it's way deeper than that. Way, way deeper than that. Yeah, it's too bad that we can't just. I mean, not we. Everybody that's an author or has some sort of something to contribute can't just put everything together and come up with the real truth. Everybody's kind of divided by their own. You know, they want their thing to be it. They want their thing to be it. And they don't want anybody taking their ideas. They want to establish what's their territory as their territory, and they don't want anyone crossing it. I've tried making friends with some of these researchers, and I've been around longer, way longer than David um, Wilcock. I've been around way longer than, than Nassim Harriman. I've been around way longer than a lot of them. Yeah, and David, they, your your NASA video... On the tether experiment, that's still uh, still some of the best evidence out there. It still hasn't been debunked in any way. 
Well, that came out in 1999-2000. I did presentations in the late 90s in privately that go back to like 1997, 98, and 99. And I gave I gave Dan Aykroyd presentations in the House of Blues. And him and I, that was before I even made a film with Dan Aykroyd, uh, Unplugged on UFOs with Dan Aykroyd. And so I was, I was presenting it privately. And so is Stephen Greer, because Stephen Greer goes back really far. I remember when Stephen Greer was giving talks in people's houses in, in uh, Santa Barbara. And I went into this house and there was Stephen Greer. I mean, this is right when he was so young in his work. And he had a gathering of about 15 or 20 people. And that's how he started out. And he wasn't known on the radio circuits yet. And, and, and Greer didn't know who I was when I walked in the room. Of course he wouldn't know. And because we were all just giving talks in people's houses. And then Art Bell started finding out who everybody was. And then, you know, I started with Art Bell at the end of 99 or 2000. I'm still trying to place the date of that first epic show I did with him. It makes you realize what Art Bell really did when he created the intellectual platform known as Coast to Coast. Oh, yeah, and they gave him a nice credit, you know, if you go on the Coast site right now. There's a nice tribute to Art as being the founder of Coast to Coast. And when, you know, when Art quit, he was done. He was tired. He had done his the greatest work he would ever do. And George Norrie took it over, and he, it, it didn't start out with George Norrie. They tried some other hosts. Hilly Rose was one of the ones they tried. Um, and I think I was on with him. There were a few hosts they did. And then they arrived at George Norrie. And, and then I, I got on with George Norrie regularly for many, many years. And George is a good guy. He did, he, he's done, He's been doing this for so long, it's amazing that he can still do it. And See, I think Art Bell burned out, and he sold the show, and he was done, and then he decided to come back for weekends, and then he was even done with that. You could see that he didn't have the passion anymore that he used to have. And then, not long ago, he, he came back in again, for, and I got interviewed by him once on his last you know, his last days. And and that was a pretty fun night. We did some interesting stuff that night. Um, I was, we were, we were, um, he was listening to my recordings of taking, I took the radius of five Palladian stars and I calculated their frequencies, which are very low frequencies that you can't hear. I moved the decimal over to the audible range, kept the numbers, and then played those as, as sounds. And we were listening to what, you know, Sirius would sound like, what, you know, if you compress the waves into the audible spectrum, we listened to a number of different star systems. And he was playing those on the air. And they were a little bit scratchy because he didn't have the best technology for playback. But it was a lot of fun. He had the best taste in music. Oh, yeah, I loved his bumper music. You know, that was... Every time you would hear that bumper music, you know... Willie Nelson, Crystal Gale. I, I love Crystal Gale. Love love her her magic. You know, I don't think we're gonna have musicians anymore ever again like that. We're 
the warmth and the soul and the magic that these musicians had is, is not going to happen again. It's, there's nobody today. It's, it's all about adrenaline today. It's all about super fast, getting the adrenaline going. There, there's not much heart and magic anymore. What do you think of this thing where some people say that they're trying to like lock us down with this technology, the cell phones and the virtual reality, the whole transhumanist, we're merging with the machine. Uh, do you think that might be some of this uh, control, negative extraterrestrial or evil human elite control? Well, yeah, I think the desire to control comes from both the size of the population and the government not realizing how powerful these people are and the the idea of de-weaponizing them and creating all these um, black ops, which is what they really are, um, to try and manipulate the public into de-weaponizing the people because I think the government is terrified of the masses. And the only way to subdue the masses is to control their brains. And if you can transmit frequencies that can manipulate the brain and sedate the brain, wipe out its energy so they, they're very passive, um, I think they've done a good job at making people passive. Because you look at the size. I mean, okay, you've got 8 million or more people living in greater Southern California and Los Angeles. And, and how big are those government buildings? And those people could just come in and swarm them and drag them out. It doesn't matter how many armed guards are sitting there. They can't shoot all of them. And, and if the people didn't like what they, their government was doing, they can just come in and overwhelm them. And it's not like they're going to be able to, you know, stop them all. They might be able to shoot some of them, but they just can't stop them. And the fact that the government is, is afraid and that they, they feel a need to manipulate and control their subjects with the fear that the police can come, lock you up, and put you in prison. I think that fear is is what keeps people from expressing what they really want to say. And what they really want to say is, hey, we're exhausted. You're driving us mad. You're making us pay enormous prices compared to what people paid in the 60s and 70s to raise a family. And we're dying. We're burning out. We can't take it. And a lot, you'll see a huge number of family suicide cases where you see that one of the parents, like this woman recently who just drove all the kids off the cliff in California, and you see more and more stories like that where the parent is burned out. They're so fried. Their adrenal glands are so fried. They're so tired of being so pumped for caffeine and going as fast as they can to pay for everything to raise their kids. And you'll see these stories in the news. And they say, well, that person's mentally ill. But they'll never say the government's mentally ill, who's driving everybody so mad that nobody has any free time anymore. And, and, to, and for what reason? Like, why do we need to make people pay a million dollars or more for a house? and they're going to be paying for it for 40 years. The next mortgages are going to get to the point where you won't pay it off in your lifetime. It'll be a, it'll be a 100-year mortgage, and it will just be handed down to the next generation, the next generation, so your kids get a place to stay. But they're going to pay the bank forever, and then their kids will continue to pay, because that's where it's going. I mean, 
it's going that far. The, the, and the, the terror is to the nervous system and to the liberated soul is if you don't have shelter, like look what's happening in L.A. You've got 87 camp intendments, camps where people have day jobs and even children and they're living in tents. And they go to work and they come home to their tents, their tent cities. Oh, Seattle is flooded with homeless people. Seattle, Portland, I mean, it's everywhere now. And, and they don't do anything about it. They look at these people as if they're complete failures. Those are your people. And then you have, look at this, you've got 44,000 suicides a year in the United States. Just go into a nice small town in America... It's got 40,000 people in it. And then imagine everyone's gone every year. And then another 50,000 are dying in the opioid um, crisis. And why are people on opiates? Because they, they get addicted to painkillers that make them feel like they're out of their body because they're so burned out in their body. They're in so much emotional pain and they get these psychologists or psychiatrists to write prescriptions and doctors to write prescriptions for drugs they know they can kill. They know these drugs can kill you. A lot of them are, are laced with benzene, which is in gasoline. And, and they kill them, and they wonder why. Like, 50,000 years. So you've got 100,000 people a year, and we're not even talking heart disease yet. And, and how many people are dying of heart disease way too young? So we're driving people like mad. So what did they do? I've looked at the, what is the true growth of the American population since the 60s, when, you know, I grew up in Berkeley, California in the 60s. And you won't believe how small the true growth of American-born babies is compared to immigration. And America, in my opinion, to militarily compete with China and, 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 and even the Middle East, and Islam, the fastest growing religion in the world, you need a billion people living here. And if you don't have a billion people, and, and you've only got 300 and something million, and, and a huge chunk of those are immigrants that are not nationalistic, that, that wouldn't believe in fighting and defending America with their life, you know, you don't have a country anymore. So what the reason immigration got so open in Europe and why do they have so many Muslims immigrating into Europe is they have the same problem. Nobody's having babies. They can't. Are you kidding me? How are you going to go at this pace and try and pay for a mortgage that size when and you're going to raise kids? I'm raising two daughters with my wife and, and it's all time. It's the greatest joy in the world, but, but I have it a hundred times harder than my mom and dad had it when they were young on how hard I have to work and how much I got to do because food is $4,000 a month because food is, is more expensive than anything. Real food, organic food. So this is what we've done and, and nobody is looking. The politicians are so asleep. They don't realize that if you didn't have all these Mexicans immigrating into the United States illegally, you would have no population here. You'd have zilch. 
because you're losing 100,000 people every year to opiates and suicides. Because you're, you're driving them freaking crazy. You're not letting them live. You're saying that... Here's another thing. Who are the baby boomers in any civilization? It's the young teens to 20s. My mom had me at 20 years old. She had, she had five boys. She had us all back to back. Except for my, my youngest brother, Stefan, was born in the 70s. So, so that's how, that's the time in your life when you are the most fertile and also your chances of having the healthiest baby is giving birth in your 20s. Now today, today, 20-year-olds don't make anywhere near enough to even get their own apartment, let alone enough space to raise a family. They don't. They're living with like six or eight people in a house in the worst neighborhood. Exactly. And I know today in Vancouver, my brother's four boys and, and all their friends' kids, some of their friends' kids are married and still living at home because they can't afford their own place. So they can't raise kids. And, and, and it gets even worse is you'll see the end of family bloodlines as more and more women decide not to have children because it's too much suffering. So what happens to the population of a country is it can tank so fast if you stop the flow of immigration because you're, you're making it impossible for your young baby boomers to have kids, to make more Americans that are, that are homegrown re- Americans that were born in America and their parents were born in America. So that's why what the idea of not allowing immigrants to come in is going to shrink the population of the country. You think they're going to have babies if you stop the flow of immigration? They're not going to have babies because it's too expensive for them to even survive. And what we should be doing is making super low-cost housing for kids who get out of high school so they can start families and they can go to university and pay $300 a month in rent for a place to raise their kids. And that's exactly what I had as a kid. My dad was, was, a, was a, a half-professor getting his Ph.D. at Berkeley, and we lived in university housing that was perfectly clean, perfectly nice, with lots of kids to play with in the neighborhood whose parents were doing the same thing. They don't have that today. And when my dad got older, and he was a single parent raising four boys because my mom left us, he got a place in Vancouver that was called, um, they were called uh, Government Housing Projects for for uh, single parents and, you know, families that were struggling. Well, my dad was raising four of us. He had to feed four of us. So, and he had a PhD in psychology. And and still, he couldn't make enough to put us in a big house. So, he he raised us in this, it had five bedrooms, that government housing. It was beautiful inside. It was all brand new. And I had my own little tiny bedroom and I was perfectly happy. They don't have that anymore, is what I'm saying. They don't have that anymore. So they got rid of it all. So these young kids are growing up and they have nowhere to live to raise their family. So these girls are going to hit 35 and not have not had kids. 
And some of them, well, very few of them will have kids. But that ends a bloodline. You see, look at the family tree. And when the girls don't reproduce, you don't get another chance. You just lost your whole family bloodline. The whole thing. It's all over. And if the boys don't get a girl pregnant, it's all over for that whole family. And if, if the girls, the boys aren't getting anybody pregnant without the girls. And if there's not enough money, not, it ain't happening. Then you're going to lose thousands and thousands of bloodlines are going to vanish in America. And the only way you're going to grow your population is to wed in those immigrants. And, and these bankers are so stupid that they don't even see what I'm telling you. I'm 57 years old this summer. I, I have seen what's going on. If they don't change this, it will be the end of the real America. Because you're going to need immigrants from the Middle East. You're going to need immigrants from Asia. You're going to need immigrants from everywhere to keep this population going. And otherwise, the population will tank. Completely tank. So what Trump is doing, he's, he's cutting immigration, but he's not solving the problem on how American youngsters can have babies. He's not helping them. He's a billionaire. He doesn't care. He thinks if you didn't make it in business, then you don't even ex deserve to exist. Because we're going to pay you minimum wage. You think you're going to raise a family on minimum wage? You're lucky if you can live in your own vehicle. I mean, in Los Angeles, it's not only the tent cities. It's the people living in their cars and their parking tickets. Because they, they can't avoid the parking meter guy. And they're, I know I have friends in L.A. that were living in their cars. I, I have friends that live in really nice vans that are all decked out inside. Yeah, I think a lot of the people that are homeless around here, when it starts to get real cold, they head down there. Yeah, they head south. And once those brutal months are over, then they start coming back in. I mean, see, this is all... It, it's all... It's all really sad. I mean, I I believe... America is the greatest country in the history in the history of the world and it's now falling falling because everybody wants to be a billionaire and then they want to be a multi-billionaire so one guy has to sit there with all this massive pile of wealth while everyone's suffering underneath them and it's this new psycho phenomenon that you got to become a billionaire and squish everybody underneath you and those people underneath you are your families. And, and they're not, they're not making it. You have the suicides, the suicide of the whole family. And then you have the, the drug deaths and the opiate deaths. And you have the heart disease and you have, you have so many people dying so fast in America that if, if you don't become a billion population, you're, the, the country is going to get squashed. Yeah, there right. is something about that money. It, it seems almost like it has some kind of spell or curse on it, like it's just sucking our existence away. It's all going to the same people, like you said, these big bankers that just seem to parasite and vampire off of the rest of us. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Bezos at Amazon paying his workers crap wages. They, they can't raise families on those wages. He's paying them, and he's sitting there smiling. I'm the richest man in the world now. Well, it's that game that's costing the existence of the country. Because if you don't have your children, you don't have a country. 
So you got to bring immigrants in, and the immigrants don't care about nationalism. They they just care that you gave them a place to live, and you're going to give them some free welfare that that everyone's going to have to pay for somehow. And it, it's just sad because everything America's done in its history has changed the entire world. I mean, you look at the airplane, the automobile, Henry Ford. You look at Tesla coming to America and all of his inventions that changed the history of the world and radio. Television, you know, Vladimir Zorkin, the father of television at RCA. I mean, it, it changed the world. It all happened here. Not every inventor was born in America that changed it, but they had to come to America first to get their inventions heard because nobody would hear them where they were from. If Tesla stayed in Yugoslavia, none of his inventions would have mattered because nobody there would have given a damn about what he what he was thinking about, but they did. They did in America. Well, it seemed like whoever, whatever force was helping him, these aliens. It seemed like seems like they were benign and they were trying to help humanity. And perhaps some bad aliens wanted to shut them up. Well, see, I think there, there's a higher force that's involved in the whole thing. You go back to the time of the Romans, when the Roman Empire spread itself too thin. You see, they didn't have enough bodies just like America doesn't have enough bodies. And America is very similar to the Roman Empire's mistake. They, they keep trying to conquer more and more territories with their you know, short, stocky Roman soldiers. And, and then finally, these Germanic races come from the north, what is now northern Germany, with these new swords that were harder and stronger with carbon steel, and they sliced through the iron swords of the Romans and the brass like it was butter, and they wiped them out. And the Roman Empire slowly fell, but and it was dissolved by 1000 AD, and then it just became Rome and Italy, instead of the entire Roman Empire, which went all the way into Gaul, which is now France and Germany. It went all the way into England, which was all Celtic, you know, scattered Celtic religions in the extension of Gaul. Gaul territory. It was all Roman territory, all the way into Europe. But America's doing the same thing. They do have extremely advanced technology militarily, but they don't have the bodies. They need a billion people. And you can't spread, supposedly spreading democracy and helping these oppressed countries out if you don't have the bodies. And if you, if you oppress your people into making babies, and you say, I'm not going to let you make babies, and, and you're the young young kids who can have them. You can't have them when you're 40. It's not very easy to have a baby when you're 40. Um, I'm I had my children late, but my wife is much younger than I am. But the point is, you you can't do it like this. You can't be only 350 million people and and have your Americans all over the world. It, it I mean, does make you wonder, a lot of the uh, allegations against the Illuminati is that they want to destroy the family unit. But that's how you destroy the, Illumi the, the country that the Illuminati is supposed to be representing. And, and that's what it would appear. You're destroying the American family unit, and you're, you're destroying their minds, you're controlling their minds with all these transmission towers, and the people feel trapped, and God isn't coming, the second coming hasn't happened yet, nobody's God is coming right now, and just remember, the Roman Empire fell, it actually fell.
And if you look at the, the, the might of the Russian technology and the Russian nuclear force, the Russians built the biggest bomb in history. It was called, called the Tsar Bomba, the hydrogen bomb. Their bomb's yield was way bigger than the Americans. And Kennedy signed a peace treaty and said, enough is enough, let's stop. Even though the first bomb was built in America. And then everybody else, see the Americans did everything first. The airplane, the computer, the, the, the car, the, the, the mass production of the automobile. Um, the internet, the cell phone, the transistor. Will Shockley, John Bardeen, and Will Bratton, 1947, invented the transistor. The transistor changed the world. The television, even though the television started with Vladimir Zorkin, nobody was interested in his country. He came to America. He's the life vice president of RCA. So it, it all happened here. And, and everybody else copied it. Everybody else copied it. Nobody else started it. Nobody else invented it first. It was all done in America. The Canadians had the fastest um, F-wing fighter, the Avril Arrow, and the Americans hired the Canadians. And then they built F-wing fighters in the United States based on the Canadian design. But the, the, the inventions that happened here are so astounding. And to be in a position right now where the American base is spread so thin with such a tiny population. I mean, look at the size of this country. Fly over it. It's mostly empty. There's some big cities you hit once in a while in an airplane. Now you go to India and fly over it, which I've done, and you don't see the end of the people from the airplane. They're everywhere. Now, when you, But the, the fact that there's this much land and there's so few people here, for the size of the land. Pakistan is close to 200 million people, this tiny little country. And America is like 350 million. So just just go figure that um, two Pakistans is more than the entire population of the United States. Now, Canada is even worse because Canada has more resources than anybody. The second largest landmass in the world. More clean water, more natural gas than anybody. And there's nobody here. California has more people than Canada. And yet a house in Canada is more expensive than the United States. They, they absolutely squash the family unit here. They say, you can't grow. We're going to kill you before we're going to let you have babies. And so Canada did the same thing. They had these massive immigrations to keep the population at any kind of a growth they had to let in tons of people. And, and the local Canadian people got seriously affected by the immigrants with all the money. But they had to do it because Canadians aren't having enough babies. I think that people. happened to uh, Germany as well, didn't it? It got completely overrun almost by Muslim communities. Yeah, well, Germany, a lot of Europe is getting overrun by Muslim communities. And it's a very similar problem. The government, the census sees the people aren't having babies, so let's let in more people. They're so stupid, they don't even know what they're doing. It's not that people don't want to have babies. You won't let them have babies. They want them, but they can't have them because they can't do three jobs and have any time for their children. And, and that's what the difference is between the 1960s and the baby-booming generations and today. Today... If, you're, if you want to have a homegrown... I mean, when we had my daughter, Alira, she was born in Flagstaff, Arizona. 
we had to pay cash before we left the hospital, $6,700. We paid the midwife cash, $3,800. Now, I mean, it's not only the cost, but then you have to, you have to be able to raise your children and, and give them everything they need and have time to make money. And they won't let you do it. So they're going to punish you in the hospital and they're going to punish you for having a baby when you bring them home. So then they go, oh, I wonder why they're not having any babies. I think we'll let a bunch more people in, in the borders. And we'll, we'll let rich people in from wherever. Anybody's got money, you can come in. That's what Canada says. <laughs> if you got money, you can come here. Even though it's the hugest country in the world. Really is massive, beautiful place, but there's nobody here. It's, what it's what do you think of the idea that at the core of this all these royal families and bankers, Rothschilds, uh, these allegations that they could actually be hybrid aliens or descended from Nephilim or hybrid aliens? Well, see, those are what Jesus calls. In the Gnostic Gospels, there's Yaltabaoth, who is this abomination of a god that a lot of Jews were worshipping without even knowing. They were worshipping a warfaring god who led them into battles, and he was egotistical. Um, he gives birth to myriads of numbers of, of demi-gods and goddesses beneath him. And, and those are the the... I don't, they're not fallen angels. They're, they're warfaring, competitive, egotistical gods. And if you look in the Greek classics, you'll see evidence of gods that are fighting and jealous. And you see all these movies that Marvel comes out about the gods and Thor. You know, they're always fighting. And, and those are the kind of gods those are. But the god line that Jesus is from is the true god of the most ancient Israel. And that is, the God of Enoch. And this is a God of supreme peace and love and blinding, blinding joy, ecstasy, bliss. And and the Hindus have also the, the gods of the supreme bliss, and so do the Buddhists, um, where there's no war. It's ab There's these perfect, peaceful planetary realms, the Buddha calls the pure realms or pure lands, where everything is paradise just like the descriptions in the end of Revelation, that there's going to be a new earth, a paradise earth that will last for a thousand years, even though that's not very long. Um, but the bottom line is that there are two classifications of gods, and, and the ones that lead you into battle and into war and separation, separation, I'm better than you kind of consciousness, have influenced humanity more than anybody else. I mean, the Olympian gods, the gods of Olympus, the gods, the Titans, which are older than the Olympian gods, they're all warfare and competitive gods that gave birth to the Olympics. And the Olympics is about sports where you beat the other opponent. And the sports of beating the other opponent is, are the symbols of, of modern civilization. Businesses squash other businesses. Business gets bigger, pays worker less money, becomes bigger, buys out small business. Um, there's a billionaire right now who wants to buy Toys R Us. Right? <laughs> What's that going to do to all the kids? Uh, um, <clears throat> he's going to become richer and make the toys, toys out of cheaper material and crappier toys. And who's going to have kids? 
in the future. You know, the future is probably AI. It's probably going to be very little American-born babies because these bankers are so stupid. They just think, I want to have more money so I can hire AI workers so I can have more money. Well, who's going to buy your products? AI? And they're going to pay you? And so what are you going to do with all this money with no real people running around? Uh, you got to see the new X-Files, like the, this this new season where Dana and Scully and, um, and David Duchovny's character are sitting in the sushi restaurant. There's no waiters, no waitresses. And it's all just done with, with AI robots, you know, making their food. And it's so funny. It's a really funny episode. But it's true. See, we're so, these billionaire concepts are so stupid. You know, it's, it, they don't care about the other, the other guy and the other, the other woman. They only care about themselves to get as much money on their giant pile as they can possibly amass and they'll see they'll watch their whole country fall to pieces and earlier you brought up the the uh gnosticism gnostic stuff and makes you wonder if these are the archons from gnosticism yeah there's there's the aeons and the archons in the gnostic right so the if you if you read the Gospel of the Egyptians, it's probably one of the greatest epics of the of the true tale of creation. Also, the Apocryphon of John. In the Apocryphon of John, John's grieving in the desert. Jesus has died on the cross, and he's he's crying. And the and some Jews are saying, "This Nazarene deceived you. Look at you. You're lying here in the dirt." And all of a sudden, John hears this deafening, thunderous sound, and the heavens open, and it's so bright and blinding. And he's taken up to meet Jesus, and Jesus shows him the whole history of the creation of the aeons, and then the archons, Yaltabaoth and the archons, and the and the fallen gods, and and he shows him the whole story of how the humans, which we are, each one of us, the were planted with a seed called the luminous epinoia which is a potential seed for true enlightenment. And when a human reaches true illumination, they surpass the gods, the archons. And the archons become so disturbed at their passage and so jealous and enraged that there's somebody coming out of the, the quagmire of the human mess who surpasses them. Because they think, Yeltabeoth thinks he's the highest being in the universe. He can't see the heavens above him because... He's blinded. He can only see his ego. And so he's an egotistical god and his female counterpart the same. So that's what our world is. See, look at the symbols of our world. The symbols are competition. Who has the most money is the winner, gets the hottest girl. The 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 this civilization is is designed to say that the most beautiful women in the civilization are bought up by the biggest corporations, the modeling agencies. The, flesh you know, is currency. Flesh is currency. And, and, and look, look at the, the sexual um, exposition of how many men in business, from churches to schools to Hollywood to politicians, have treated women as their sexual servants. Because that's what they're doing. They're saying, you are my sexual servant. You work for me. 
so you're going to have sex with me. And that's what they want. They, they want to sit there with their pile of money and dictate who is going to go in their bed. And that is where, unfortunately, I mean, I know stories in this world because I, I knew Pamela Anderson. I knew a number of playmates. I, I, I was very close to Pamela Anderson and also some incredibly beautiful women in Los Angeles. And I heard from these women stories that would make you turn blue. I mean, it, it, their playboy became so impotent at paying girls $35,000 for their appearances. There were these Saudi agencies coming into Los Angeles and Chicago and New York, and they were offering girls $150,000, $200,000 to come to the Middle East, to these palaces to be the sexual servants of the super powerful of the Middle East, and they all went. And they went to modeling agencies and got these girls too. And so America's homes were being scoured by these agencies for the prettiest girls to do this. And they did it. I know girls who have done this. And I know I met a young lady in Vancouver and went and had tea with her. And she was in Roman Polanski's mansion in Europe when she was 14 years old. And he said, she said that he had all the girls take, um, addicting drugs, mainly heroin, and got them so addicted that they wouldn't leave the mansion. And he had hundreds of girls in there. She said she finally escaped. She was an incredibly beautiful you know, young woman. I was much younger at the time, and, and she had already had a man in, in the city just take her and say, well, I'll, I'll marry you and I'll take care of you. And she said yes. She, she needed somewhere to live. And so she, she married the guy, and... She, did, she wasn't attracted to him. Um, she was attracted to me at that time. And, and I said, oh, well, you made your choice. But that's, where the, that's what the stories were. And I lived with a woman in Los Angeles who was in the middle of all of this. And there were scores of girls going through her that um, were getting the same offers. And she turned down the offer to go to Saudi to the Middle East for $150,000. But many of her friends were doing it. So Playboy was saying, I'll give you $35,000 to be in the magazine. And these girls were like, forget it. I can get 150000 And a lot of these girls told me, I met a lot of them, they didn't even have to have sex. They just dressed up in, in bikinis and outfits, and, and they stayed there for about a year. And they came home. They took care of them. They had tons of clothes. They bought them cars. And they, they came home with 150000 200000 cash. And then they would do something with their life. But a lot of them got addicted to drugs in the process. And they, when they came home, they spent all their money on drugs because they were so messed up about what they did. So those are your daughters of your children in America, the prettiest, prettiest ones, getting bought up by these super rich people in the Middle East and being taken. And then when they come home, they're so messed up, they can't find real boyfriends and make children. These girls were basket cases, and many of them died. Many of them died of drug overdoses that I saw in Los. This is in Los Angeles. Yeah, so that that city it just seems to swallow people up. But see, that's what money does. So, so why is it that Harvey Weinstein wanted all these girls? 
Well, because he was so powerful, what else can he buy? Another car? Another house? He wants boys and girls. And and so does the next one. The next one, Kevin Spacey, the actors. How many women have come forward in this Me Too movement to say that they were the servants for somebody powerful? So that's our society. Our society looks like a warfaring, competitive the gods of the titans and the most beautiful women and the most beautiful men being the servants of these giant, um, it's kind of like that in Star Wars, what's his name, the big giant slimy guy um, who had Princess Leia. Oh, Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> Jabba the Hutt, yeah, it's like a, Hardy Weinstein is like a Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> oh my God. All right, David, we are... Uh, <coughs> heading towards the end of the interview. So the beings that are the light beings, the, the true light beings who get the, the most beautiful forms, the descriptions, and, and my experience of meeting Christ and, and being taken to heaven is the demigod goddess realms are so poverty stricken for even beauty, even physical beauty, the physical beauty of, of the angelic luminous beings far surpasses the beauty of the demigod realms and the realms of the gods and the goddesses of the wars. And, and our civilization is, an, is a superimposition of the demigod-goddess realms. We're warfaring competitive for women and men. We're competitive for sex, and money and power is sex. So the ETs who are watching this, who are probably orchestrating this, who send the greys to test our DNA, are probably... And, and all the evidence I've seen are being dictated by the lower archons, the gods and goddesses of Yeltabaoth. They, Jesus is God and Jesus are, are from such a more beautiful place, such a higher place. And to be saved by him, in my opinion, I have seen him with my own eyes. I have seen thousands of beings with my eyes open, hundreds I mean. Not thousands, um, but nobody compares to him. There, there's nobody who, no spiritual being I've seen with my eyes open, I've seen hundreds, that is even one millionth the beauty of Christ. Not even a billionth, not even a trillionth, not one of them even compares. So what he has to offer is, I'm not saying the church today, in all its corruption, is the representation of Christ on earth. Uh, I am saying the true Christ and the true Magdalene and the true apostles, what they have to offer in bringing humanity back to the true God is the way out of this mess. And and that's if you're from the Western civilization. If, if, if you're from the East, you may adhere to the Buddhist ideas or the, or the Hindu ideas, then I'm not here to judge anybody's religion. I'm just saying from my own experience and, and, and actually meeting Christ. I wrote a book called Face to Face with Jesus Christ in my meetings. There's nothing that compares to them. Nobody has anything they can offer you that is worth even a, a piece of dust compared to what he can offer you. So, so turn your backs on this fraud and, and, and get a staff. Write David Sarita at hotmail.com. Go to davidsarita.net. S-E-R-E-D-A is how you spell my last name. And you can make your own staff for $111 and get the training. 
you can buy the super fancy one, the first level for $2,500, and they go up from there because of the gems and the power of the emission of the gems. But you can start even on a on a shoestring budget to get your staff. So I want to see thousands of these things on the planet transmitting holy frequencies and holy resonance to counteract the dark towers, the microwave towers that are usurping our nervous systems with false frequencies. So thanks for having me on your show, Daniel. It's, it's, you know, you're a good, it's a good platform. The, the more I can preach to the masses and, and have access, I'm really grateful. Oh yeah, definitely. And, uh, thanks for sharing the story of our bell rest in peace our bell such a amazing person and it's it's so amazing that you had the honor of going on his show and talking to him yeah so many times I, I think it was at least 25 times i could be wrong it's it was a lot um but uh, he's on the other side now and he's probably snooping around inside of area 51 uh, he's probably so excited just to get in there i i've driven right by his house with my wife you know coming out of death valley and you see his big radio tower, KYNNE, and he's he's sitting right on the border of Area 51. So he's he's there, you know. I'm sure he's snooping around in there as a spiritual being, and he can see what's really going on um, from the perspective where he is. And I hope he sends us a message back. I hope there's some way of getting a message. Maybe it'll, maybe his voice will just show up on the radio one day. Yeah, that would be great. I, I hope for something like that. Um, but, David, thank you so much for coming on. I do want to go ahead and um, – do you have anything else at all that you would like to say or plug before we finish tonight? Well, I'd like to say that another way to protect yourself from the vibrations of these towers, the dark towers, the microwave towers, is to wear – are vibrationally activated light pendants and you can wear one of those you can take my course on the toning um, and the activation of your light body um, which is mainly a Christian mystic course I consider myself a mystic Christian I was baptized Catholic and my daughters are baptized and my wife is baptized but the, I don't believe the church is the is the real authority on Christ is Christ Christ self so, but I do respect other religions. I'm not a Christian who believes that this is the only way to get to God at all. It's, it's just, it's our way, you know, the way we've discovered as people who love Jesus Christ. But, um, I want to say on my website, there's a lot of things if you go to davidsarita.net. My new site that's coming out soon is called, um, holyresonance.com. It's not up yet, but there's going to be new products there. And we also have my Vortex Energy Coils to transmit harmonic protection of force fields around your house or your office. And there's a lot of stuff on my site. Get a, get a protection Vortex Coil or get a staff and, and leave it on 24-7. Take the training to create a protection field around your house and your family. So thank you very much um, and for having me and and have a good night. And for those noobs out there, watch David Sarita's interview with Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, that's that's on the internet now. I I I that film got hijacked. All my films got hijacked. So I can't make movies anymore. I really want to make movies. There is a chance that I'll be making movies again, but for now, I can't make them for free. 
And my films are free everywhere on the internet today. So. Well, thank you, David, for making those videos. You had a huge influence on helping me realize that I was not crazy when I saw a UFO during my youth. Thank you so much for coming on the program, and I hope to speak to you again someday. Okay. Have a good night. Take care. Good night, my friend. Bye-bye. There you have it. That was David Sarita. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Such an amazing illuminating interview, uh, mind-blowing, truly mind-blowing. And I meant what I said there at the end. David's uh, work, his NASA videos, his um, everything that's been out there has really helped me turn the corner and realize that my experiences were not insane. What I was seeing was real, and this guy's actually smart enough where he'll tell you UFOs are real and then he'll tell you exactly how they work. (laughs) And it's funny because, uh, you know, there's a lot of bad things written about David. I mean, not a lot of them, but there's things out there on the internet like that slam him. But when you actually talk to the guy, you realize how smart he is and everything that he says is entirely accurate. So shame on anybody you know, saying negative things about him. He's doing some tremendous work. The guy is a genius for sure. And definitely enjoyed having him on here to talk about Art Bell. Oh, my God. Uh, Wow. I'm so heartbroken that Art has passed away, but um, that was so nice of David to share that story of uh, the incredible synchronicity or the uh, whatever that was, where circuit boards were being fried and satellites were being shut down and uh, things are being passed on from government officials that people better stop talking about certain things. That is just uh, beyond uh, trippy and mind-blowing. But I'm obviously I'm my mind is very blown right now. I'm very excited. I enjoyed that interview. We went kind of long. <laughs> um Let's go ahead and take a break, and then I'll come back, and we'll talk about some stuff. And we still have some time left, so I'll talk to you guys soon. Okay, I'm back. Nothing fancy, just okay, I'm back. Oh, my, what a wonderful interview. I'm still high off of that, I have to say. Um, I pride myself on putting on a good interview. I've had people tell me that... I'm the best. I've had people tell me that. And I'm usually pretty humble about that. Even though I brag about other things, I tend to be very humble about that because maybe part of me knows that there's some truth to it. Some truth to it. But I'm following in the footsteps of giants. Titans. People like Howard Stern. People like Joe Rogan, even. And especially people like Art Bell. Art Bell is the godfather of all of this shit. Period. He's not somebody that can be replaced. Period. Not by me. Not by anybody. That will ever be. Nobody can come close to what Art was and what he did not only for radio, not only what he did for the world of paranormal, but 
like I said earlier, the intellectual platform that he created that woke so many of us up because we just heard bits and bits and bits and more and more. And the pieces started to come together because of people like him. I read Art's book, The Source. I have his other one. I believe it's called The Quickening. I have not read it yet. I have it in hardcover. I was hoping to get it signed someday. Looks like that's not going to happen. What I can at least say is I hope that one good thing that might have come out of all the all the antics and craziness over the past however long it's been, I hope that Art has heard this show. I hope that he has. Uh, I hope that he's heard me broadcast at least once because without him, this show would not exist. And neither would all the other ones. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen to the Dark Matter Network and those boys over there. I wish them the best. They did not want End of Days Radio. There's a little bad blood there, but never against Art himself. Of course not. I've always said without a shadow of a doubt that nobody should disrespect Art. You see a lot of people saying disgusting things about him, that he killed his wife or uh, he did this or that. And come on, people, that it's not the time for that, period. Even if there was any truth to any of those ridiculous allegations with no nothing to back them up. So please don't say those things on social media or don't say those things. It's too soon for any of that. However you felt about not getting your serious XM money back or whatever it was that made you so angry. Um, I get it. Art promised to return and he, he went on serious and he stopped being on serious and he went on the dark matter network and he stopped being on the dark matter network the fact that R has passed has made me think that perhaps what we were seeing was a very sick man that was trying to hide his illness. When I first discovered a lot of this stuff, this thing that became End of Days Radio, there was one interview in particular that was a heavy inspiration to me. It was his interview with Terrence McKenna. Art Bell and Terrence McKenna. I discovered both of those names at the same time. And that interview that I listened to would go on to influence my life in such a deep way. That's how I got into Terrence McKenna. I heard him on Art Bell. And that was also the first time that I heard Art Bell, which led me to discover a lot of other things things that form this crazy summer that I had sometime before 2012 where my mind just blew and I realized that I had to start this show. I had to create this thing. And this, the things that I was hearing, Terrence McKenna and his 2012 
Art Bell and the quickening and the way that their minds came together, the influence it has had on me, I can't even put it into words. And it's sad because words are sort of my thing, but I can't even get it all together. I will move on from talking about this now. <laughs> um, I think that we should remember Art fondly. I hope that he does reach out. I hope that Art knows what I'm doing here. I hope that he realizes that some of us are still trying to keep the candle lit. Shout out to Belgab. Shout out to MV over there. And the entire community of Belgab. <laughs> Um, I know everybody there has one thing in common is that they love Art Bell. And because of that community, that's, <laughs> there's no way that I can even put that into words. <laughs> um, it, one fond memory of mine, a fond internet radio memory is when I was able to go on the Gabathon to raise money to keep Bell Gab going and keep that whole thing up and that was one of the only times that i've been on other shows i've been on oh i don't know a few podcasts um i hope to go on more it's just that i'd rather spend my time doing this show i feel i'm doing something important here it's not an ego thing um I would probably have to make money from this for it to be an ego thing, <laughs> right? Uh, there's nothing ego-stroking about being an idiot that doesn't spend his time making more money. This I do purely out of love, so everybody should know that. This show is here purely because I love you, you personally, you that's listening right now. <laughs> this show is just for you. That's it. Uh, this show is for the fans. It is for the people that get it, the people that want to dig deeper, the people that want to go really deep down the rabbit hole, who want to explore this dark void on board the black ship. I sit here as your captain, guiding the steering wheel as we drift through the void. And as we go, I start talking in a deeper and deeper voice. Hello, I'm John B. Wells. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Calm down, people. Um, <laughs> David Hogg, where's he been? He seems to have kind of fallen off, fallen off the face of the earth <laughs> after all this Syria war stuff started. Apparently, we're sending some missiles at some primitive peoples overseas <laughs> again. What else is new, right? You get kind of desensitized to this stuff after a while, but it's still scary. Why are they doing it? What's the true motive? Uh, are we are we are we really defending people that are getting gassed? I hope so. I hope it's not for some other reason, like it usually is. Uh, a lot of people getting banned on social media. That's all the rage nowadays. The hot topic. I was banned. And I still was there, but my stuff, it wasn't showing up. Holy crap, I wouldn't even know if my stuff was showing up or not. (laughs) 
Usually when I'm on social media, as many of you that know me, that's at Ninja Shoes. For those who would like to follow my insanity on Twitter, that's where I emit this smorgasbord of anger, of rebelliousness and righteousness and hereticness. That's where it all just erupts. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It erupts on this show, but that's just what I do when I'm bored. <laughs> I troll on Twitter. No, no, I'm just kidding. What I like to do is I like to spread truth however I can, whether it's Twitter, whether it's anything. Uh, this is the main method that I want to do it is behind this microphone sitting in this dark garage. Just me. Me and... The demons. <laughs> oh, God. I shouldn't scare myself. I am alone here. Um, one thing, though, that I did want to touch on earlier with David, I know there's a lot of stuff in the news. I, how could I even get to all of this? There's so much. we got to do some news. I'm sorry. we got to follow the format of the show and actually do some news. So... Let's do at least one news story. Maybe we'll do two if, if we, if I can stay awake. <laughs> I did work today, mind you. Okay, so let's see here. Let's let's pick like the best one. Let's talk about this cocksucker, Elon Musk. Him and all his money and his cool electric cars. Oh, I'm so jealous. If I could only be that guy, right? Come on. This website's going slow. Oh, no. Is this site where I get the news? Is it crashing? That could put a damper in my... Oh, here it goes. Okay. This is from LifeScience.com. Elon Musk worries that AI research will create an immortal dictator. Imagine your least favorite world leader. Now imagine if that person wasn't a human. Now, imagine if that person wasn't a human. Sorry, this website that I'm getting the news from, it's full of lots of spyware that's going to completely infect my Windows installation on my computer. Yay! Anyways, sorry for the nerd talk. Now, imagine if that person wasn't a human, but a network of millions of computers around the world. This digi-dictator has instant access to every scrap of recorded information about every person who's ever lived. It can make millions of calculations in a fraction of a second, controls the world's economy and weapon systems with godlike anatomy, and scariest of all, can never, ever die. This unkillable digital dictator, according to Tesla and SpaceX founder Elon Musk, is one of the darker scenarios awaiting humankind's future. You know what? Wait a second. I'm going to just stop the clock right there. Stop the clock. Um, okay. Why is it that people accuse... Alex Jones of spreading fear. Look what this guy is spreading. And I'm no Alex Jones fan, as you people know. You people. I am <laughs> uh, no Alex Jones fan. But he gets accused all the time of spreading fear. What is this Elon Musk doing? Oh my god, the AI is going to come alive and kill us. I could definitely see that happening. But first, I just want a Furby that can actually talk back to me, like, real time. I want to see it before I buy into it. It's going to kill me. I, I work with computers. 
they're just not at that level yet. You'd have to figure out some way to make them actually think on their own. I'm not saying that it's not going to happen, and I'm not saying that it's not happening in some underground base somewhere as we speak, but here in the 3D, at least for now, we're not anywhere close. As far as my knowledge of computers goes, if I'm wrong, please correct me in the comments, <laughs> as you people always are so kind to do. I love you people, by the way. Okay, that was our first news story. What do I think of that? I think that it's hypocritical to talk about things like that. Of course that could happen. We've all seen Terminator. Uh, apparently everything that this Elon Muskrat says is gold. He's just, he has all the money. He's a genius. Oh, wow. You guys, I hope you know that that car he sent into space was fake. It's already been proven. It's on YouTube. Look it up. Um. I wouldn't even give him the time of day. He's obviously just a billionaire troll who wants attention. I get it. We all want attention, but he shouldn't get it just because he's a billionaire that sends fake cars into space. Okay, how about another news story? Okay, okay. Man who was raised by wolves in a cave admits he's disappointed with human life. This is from uh, The Mirror. UK. I don't know if that's the source. I don't know where this is from. But this, it says, a man who was raised by wolves in a cave for 12 years has admitted that he feels disappointed with human life. Marcos Rodriguez Pantoja was dubbed the Mowgli of Spain when he was found by authorities. Okay, so basically this guy, he lived in the woods, he lived in the outback, and he's a little naked little kid running around. He, was, he lived there until he was 19. He, he says he, he, it says he was half naked, so somewhere in the process he figured out how to make some clothes out of some leaves, or maybe one of his friends died and he made a diaper out of the carcass. Who knows? <laughs> uh, it says he lived in a small, cold house and said his last happy memories are of his childhood with the animals. Oh, that's so cute. That's even getting to me. Uh, Rodriguez found himself living with the wolves when he was left without parents. His mother passed away when he was three, and his dad went to live with another woman. They took him to the mountains to replace a goat herd who looked after 300 animals. But while he was taught how to make a fire and utensils, the man disappeared or died, leaving seven-year-old Rodriguez alone. The mountain animals were his only company, and just like the Jungle Book story, the wolf, club, the wolf cubs accepted him as a brother. A she-wolf fed him, and he slept in a cave alongside bats, snakes, and deer. The wolves even taught him how to survive, and which berries and mushrooms were safe to eat. Oh, wow. I didn't know that wolves ate mushrooms. He said, one day I went into a cave and started to play with wolf clubs that lived there and fell asleep. Later, the mother brought food for them. Wow, that's so amazing that they would take care of him. This is a whole thing, like his whole story. But the whole thing is just so touching that animals would would be better than humans. Like, they will treat another living being so much better. Somewhere, I believe that... Well, it doesn't say specifically that he has a bad idea of humanity. <laughs> I don't see it in this article. Maybe it's somewhere that I can't see it. Oh, here... 
here he said, I cannot cope with so much noise, the cars, the people going back and forth like ants. But at least ants all go in the same direction. People went everywhere. I was scared of crossing the road. But I can completely relate to this guy. I mean, it's crazy in the city. There's so much going on. And if you've lived out there on your own with a bunch of wolves and snakes and bats and a deer that's sleeping next to you, that's going to give you a very unique perspective. I mean, imagine that. It's just the only thing that you have in life are these dogs that are taking care of you just because they like you, (laughs) right? Oh, my. I wish that people would take care of other people like that. Oh, wow. Okay. Let's read a letter from a listener. This is from Ashmel. Daniel, why do you talk about Palestine on Twitter but never talk about it on air? We need more support from the West and alt media. Help is, Daniel, we are dying. Help, Daniel, we are dying? Looks like there is a little spelling thing going on there. Um, his name's Ashmel. Ashmel, I'm sorry. I had no idea that uh, you listened to the show or that you wanted me to help you in your cause. I feel terrible about what's going on over there. The situation in the Middle East is very troubling to me, almost on a daily basis. It's just like people won't acknowledge what's happening. You go to work and people just give you these blank stares and nobody even understands it. It's really strange. I agree that the media doesn't really cover that topic very much. There's so much, there's just this big, huge protest and a bunch of people died and no one was really talking about it over here. It's kind of sad. And I'm sorry if I have not talked about that enough. It's a topic that can get you into trouble if you talk about it in this country, whether people want to admit it or not. Whether you want to admit it or not, it's a topic that can get you in trouble and affect your life and make people not like you. It's true. It's damn true. Oh, you guys, I have so much stuff that I was going to talk about tonight, but I probably should go to sleep at some point. (laughs) Um, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody. And thank you to Art Bell, of course. One more time, thank you for being such a huge inspiration and creating an intellectual platform that blew my mind and blew a lot of other people's minds for those out there that are addicted to knowledge like I am. I've had some weird experiences and coast to coast, it's actually made me feel more normal because it was the first place where people that had these experiences could really connect. And it helped me realize that I'm not crazy. Just like I was telling David earlier, his videos, his UFO videos made me realize that I wasn't crazy. My experience was real. 
and I hope that I can somehow help other people out there open their minds, look at some of this stuff. It's hard. It's hard to get to the point where you're like me and you wear a foil hat and you're worried about them coming and killing you. It's hard. It's a long road. you got to earn it. <laughs> you got to put the work in if you want this. If you want this life. Lifestyles with the paranoid and nervous. I'm Robin Leach. Welcome to Lifestyles of the Paranoid and Nervous. Oh, that sounded more like the Joker at the end. Oh, Lord. Um, there's a lot going on out there, and I have a lot of notes, but I have to kind of condense this somehow because I don't have all night. But that Justin Bieber kid, he gets a lot of shit. A lot of people hate him because he's like a boy band type of thing. Everybody hates boy bands. Like the only people that want to see a boy band or Justin Bieber are like girls 11 to 15. So people hate Justin Bieber. I think he became popular off of YouTube. He was just like a YouTube singer and he became popular and all these girls and even grown adult women say they're so in love with him. But I remember reading news stories about Justin Bieber drop kicking a paparazzi. And if that's true, and Justin Bieber really did a pro wrestling move on a paparazzi, that's pretty cool because he was not only standing up for himself, but flying through the air with an amazing move, right? <laughs> pretty dumb of him. He's going to get sued. But I've heard this guy. I've heard him. I know he looks like a kid. I think he's an adult now. I'm not sure. But I've heard other stuff that he's talked about, and he seems like a pretty cool guy. He doesn't seem like a douchebag. He doesn't seem like he's stuck up. He seems like he's a pretty cool guy. Maybe I'm completely wrong about that. And if I am, feel free to let me know in the comments. I say these things not to be inflammatory, but only because they are my opinions. I'm just being honest. I see nothing wrong with the guy. He seems like a cool dude. I don't see any reason to hate him. I don't even hate the Backstreet Boys anymore. They're so old now. It's pathetic. I can relate to that. They're losing their hair like I am. Did you guys know that back in the old days of our country, there was an anti-Freemason political party? Shows you the level of control that they had in this country back then. Amazing, isn't it? Just a random fact. Just a random fact. We've been talking about Dracula a lot lately how he's a shapeshifter, just like the reptilians were shapeshifters. And his dad was called the dragon. And his name, Dracula, meant the son of the dragon. And his father, he was in a secret society called the Order of the Dragon that was trying to restore the ancient Nephilim to the throne, the original gods, the hybrids. 
I think there's a lot to be said there. Wasn't Prince Charles years ago, wasn't he taking all these pictures wearing a kilt and he was bragging, oh, Vlad Dracula is my relative. Yeah, exactly, because he's another goddamn reptilian like you. Do you see the girls that those young guys are with? The Princess Di's sons? Charles and Di's sons? They're amazing looking. They look like models. I guess it's good to be a prince or a king, even in even in this day and age, right? Too bad they're probably related to them. Even though they're hot, they're probably their relatives, right? <laughs> Isn't that how it works? I hope that they don't have reptilian babies, 